On this episode of Geek Out Loud, Michael Cohen stops by to discuss, well, a little Disney. Of course, we talk Star Wars. A lot of Disney stuff, though. A lot of John Carter of Mars. It's the original Star Wars. On this, your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out. And do not check your feeds. Do not rub your eyes. Do not be surprised that, yeah, you're getting a Geek Out Loud basically two weeks in a row. That's because of my new commitment to try to have content on the website based on a uh, an announcement I made a couple of weeks ago that I really pulled a Mark Hamill and just kind of ran my mouth when I probably shouldn't have been. But we'll talk more about that as more is announced officially from the people who should officially be announcing it, and then we'll talk that. I mean, it's not like it's not there forever for anyone to see. Anyhow, my point is this. I'm Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you. Uh, as I said, on this, your safe place to geek out. Now, today, I'm excited to have a uh, guest with us. Since, gee whiz, four or five years ago, when Geek Out Loud got started, and I sat down with a subpar program trying to make a subpar uh, logo for a for a show to try to define the look and the feel of what this show would be about. I got an email from a guy and he's like, hey, this is what I do for a living. I could I could mock something up for you. If you wanted, I can put something together for you to make a, a decent logo, which was a nice way of saying, hey, you suck, fatty, so let me do, let a, let a pro step in. But ever since that moment in time when that logo hit my email, uh, the, the look and and the feel of every project that I've done since then, whether it's the Big Honkin' Show, um, even my ministry, 521 Ministries, everything has gone through the artistic filter of, uh, of one man. This guy is someone who I've always been able just to email and say, hey, can you help out with this? Even when we had a short-lived set of forums, this was the guy who sat down, made it happen, made it look great, made it look cool. The website itself, all the websites themselves, done by this man um and he's become over the years not only uh someone who i turn to for help visually because i am no artist i don't know what colors match what looks good on a on a web page that sort of thing but also he's someone who i have come to call a great friend we've spent literally literally hours hours upon hours talking about everything from star wars to youth ministry to life to just having a good time together he is uh, the man who, at Celebration Star Wars Celebration Six last year, facilitated one of the uh, one of the better nights of of the weekend as we sat around his hotel room, his his hotel suite, uh, just hanging out talking to people like Bethany and Riley Blanton, a good friend Kyle Baca, uh, Carl from Know What I'm Saying, and the Wampas Lair was there. Jason was there. We just had. A, a splendid time and this man was part of the reason that we did someone who I literally shed tears over as we parted ways that weekend my friend your friend the host of the forthcoming podcast about the animated series rebels 
the host of the Green Arrow podcast, Quiver, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, the host of the former Clone Wars, I guess it's still around, but the Clone Wars podcast, Frontlines. Ladies and gentlemen, he is Michael Cohen. Michael, welcome officially to Geek Out Loud. <laughs> That's good because, uh, yeah, I didn't get I didn't get a, an official intro last time no. because we just kind of we started talking almost like we did today. Yes. And, uh, and we just started going. And then you were like, by the way, I'm recording and this is the episode. Well, it, so. Because the conversation was so much better than anything I had put forth because at the time <laughs> we were both scratching our heads saying, what in the world is going on with, with the Star Wars properties? What's happening? Yeah. You know, why are they doing this to us? Why does Disney hate us so much? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and 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 it became a, a conversation that merited, um, I think, just being out there because there there are few people who I know who who are as passionate as I am about Star Wars and, and all things Star Wars, and you were helping verbalize some of the things I was feeling without it sounding so depressing. So <laughs> you know, it, it felt it felt right. But um, but ever since, and I've wanted to get you on properly to have a proper introduction to let people know just how much you mean to not just me, but to this show and to everything that I've done since then. Like without you, there'd be no Steve on a cereal box. There'd be no t-shirts. There'd be no, um, there'd be no 521 logo that looks different, did, uh, uh, decent rather. And quite frankly, to me to date, one of the greatest things I've ever seen you put your hand to is the know what I'm saying logo. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you you have a way of taking what I imagine in my head and making it so much better. Well, and, you know, I I had my own idea for what was going to happen with that logo uh, when I was first started talking to Carl, and then he sent me a message uh, that essentially paraphrasing said, uh, "Steve wants it to be kind of like the two of us peeking over uh, over the logo or, or something like that, or peeking out." And I was, and it just the second that that description came across on on facebook messenger i was like oh okay yeah okay i know what i'm doing <laughs> and uh and so i pulled up i pulled up the picture that that uh carl had put up as as your guys's cover photo on on the facebook page of the two of you together and i was like this is perfect because carl has the same face i have about I don't know, probably probably about a good dozen pictures of him from Star Wars Celebration uh, last summer. And uh, there's a couple where we're mid-conversation or whatever, but the majority of them, he's got just that, oh my God, it's that face that I just love to hate to love. You know what I mean? Like, I just have this weird conflicted relationship. And Car Carl knows that everything I say comes out of love. He knows, he knows that, right, that right. I love him. I. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, there's just this this weird adversarial relationship that I have with him, where like I consider him an an awesome, incredible friend, but at the same time I'm just like, oh, Carl. I, I listened to the last episode of Geek Out Loud, uh, or sorry, not Geek Out Loud. I know what I'm saying, right. and uh, and you can ask you can ask Crystal, my wife. I I listened to the whole thing, start to finish, but I could not disagree more with your guys' choice in oh, music. Oh wow, on that wow. Last so uh, up until the Michael Jackson stuff, and then I can get get down with you guys. I mean, there's some stuff that I definitely agree with you, Steve. Oh sure, but sure. Carl and I have very <laughs> different opinions on music, and it was just like it it just it felt like like being at Star Wars Celebration with you guys again, where it was like I don't know 
what you guys are talking about or where you are coming from on this. I still love you guys like brothers, but I love you guys like brothers. That's where, that's what it is, is that it's like, man, I'm going to forgive this, but only because. Well, I really, <laughs> but, yeah. when Carl. It's that, that face, and I, and I just had to yes. immortalize that well, for everybody and else. And that's, that's the thing, though, is Carl has this, this thing when he smiles and really starts laughing where, yeah. as we talked about, I don't know what I'm saying, the eyes, his eyes just disappear. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and whenever I see that face in my head, what I'm taken back to immediately is is that night and when i say that night i mean the yeah. night before we were hanging out your suite i mean yeah, yeah. after the mark hamill panel <laughs> when we all sit down at the uno pizzeria in in yeah. orlando and carl just starts rolling like he did and uh just those eyes disappearing and your wife the <laughs> lovely crystal just absolutely losing her stuff every time <laughs> just and she would yeah. say the same thing like trying to breathe she would say the same thing his eyes just disappear his <laughs> eyes just disappear <laughs> and yeah. so and I'll tell you this and I'm going to and I'm going to talk to Carl about it that that listening back to that episode you know what I'm saying I was like we really we've got to man this thing up a little bit we've we've got to <laughs> We've got to get out of touch with our feelings and just have a good time. Because when he said, let's talk about music, I really expected me to go off on a almost a big honking show type tangent. Yeah. You know, yeah. throw in some St. Elmo's Fire, do do some other stuff. And then and as he started just to wax eloquent about Matchbox 20, because let's be honest, that's what that episode turned into. Yeah. Was yeah. Carl that's, loves that's Matchbox where, 20. That's where the hatred came from. Oh, I wow. Just, I can't stand Matchbox 20, yeah. and I, I, you know, other people are allowed to like whatever kind of music they like, and mm -hmm. music is a very personal thing, but, man, Matchbox 20 is, like, the, 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 it's not even the opposite, it's that it's, like, two hairs to the left of what I like, Okay, and All it's right. those two hairs that just make me, it just, they grate on my nerves, you know what I mean? Right, because uh, if it was the exact opposite of what you like, then you could ignore it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, I, there, there are things that I definitely don't like. Matchbox Twenty almost hits it, but it's just that '90s, <laughs> that late '90s. Sure. Ugh, it just doesn't do it for me. I'm with I was, you. I, uh, I understand. I, I, I'm not a fan. But. Well, that, that's uh, I you know, whenever you start talking stuff like that, you know, you're going to alienate someone. You know, yes. and um, and and the whole and my hope is uh, with everything that I do that hopefully personality outweighs taste. And that's that, yeah. That's exactly what it came down to. Is that I I listen to the whole thing because I just enjoy listening to you guys talk. Uh, but yeah, it, it it as soon as you got to the Michael Jackson stuff, I was like, okay, good. I can relax. We now. can relax now. He's he's Michael got a Michael Jackson. Jackson poster above his bed. That's what I took away from that episode more than anything else. Is that <laughs> Carl Leclerc of the Wampus Lair and know what I'm saying has a Michael Jackson poster above his bed. And, you know, I, I'm not one to talk, but I'm like, it's like I harbor no illusions as to why I'm single. And it has to do with a room full of Star Wars toys. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got, I think I've got Carl pegged too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, and I'm sure this will all come back to bite me when I record with him this week. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> he knows that we love him. Exactly. Exactly. It. Well, and I, and I tell you, I, you, I, you were there, you know, and I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh -huh. I feel like there is a bond that is shared 
between those of us who spent time at Celebration 6. Um, and, and it's a bond that even transcends those of us that spent time together at Celebration 5. That I feel like that, that for whatever reason, that was just such a special moment in time for all of us. That, that to me, I walk away feeling like this, this mattered. This, was, this meant something in my life. <laughs> And, um, and, and cause we did, we just, we spent a lot of time together, but we didn't spend so much time together that we were every waking moment together. I had a, mm-hmm. a lot of good times I spent with Steve Mitchell from the 501st from out in Michigan. And, uh, you know, and he's someone that I consider a, a good, good friend, um, that I met, I met at celebration five and then, and then we hung out subsequently at celebration six. Some. And, uh, you know, and, and we all had our moments where we were doing our own thing, but those moments of just those six or seven of us together, six, seven, eight of us together, those are the moments that I come away with the most vivid memories and just that that just kind of hit me most, and that's what will bring me back to a Star Wars celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, not, not to, I, I, I want to say not to play down Celebration 5 and the, the, the moments shared there, because I definitely, I can recall a moment sitting with uh, Steve Mitchell and, and the two of us rolling a couple of tears, Yes. Uh, over over George Lucas speaking, seeing him for the first time in person. Yes. Uh, uh, that it may have been the sleep deprivation, but it, I, I think it was also the just the moment overwhelmed us. But I, uh, but yeah, Celebration Six definitely had this weird. I don't know. It just, it 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 was almost um, the way that I uh, that I feel about it is that we've all been friends our entire lives we just didn't know each other yet. You know, yeah. like it just, there wasn't a moment where we'd all been sitting together in one room. Yeah. In the words but, of Carly, Carly Ray Jepsen, before you came into my life, I missed you so bad. Exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> That's, I, see, and I can agree with you on that one. Carly Ray Jepsen, and she is, she's from BC. She's oh, from, okay. all right. Uh, she's from just a few hours out of, uh, out of Vancouver, actually. Um, I, but I, yeah, that, that song was my jam. Nice. Last summer. Oh man, that was my on the to and from work. I, if that came on the radio, it was like roll down the windows and crank it up, and I don't care who's listening. Man, uh, and 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 I would like to say, and not to be a hipster, but just because, like, to to say, she is she's from BC, so that her music, especially Call Me Maybe, was being played on the radio mm-hmm. here before it got picked up everywhere else um, on, on our local radio stations. And uh, and I was rocking out to that song long before it was cool to uh, to make videos on YouTube and stuff like that. Like it was, it, it, you may even say that it was uncool to do it when I was enjoying that song initially, because that was like months before it kind of hit uh, on on the radio stations everywhere else. But yeah, uh, we can we can agree on that as well. Nice, nice. The, the Carly Rae is definitely. <laughs> definitely close to my heart. And I just want you to understand that as little editing as I do on this show, that people are going to hear now for eternity that that you jam out to Carly Rae Jepsen. That, I, uh, I, no shame. No okay. shame whatsoever. All right. Well, just making sure. Just making sure yeah, you want that no. out there. So. <laughs> hey, look, I, I, I too have uh, a Star Wars-esque rooms, but uh, the, see, the thing is, is that you walk into my house and it's... Uh, I don't relegate it to one room. Uh, it's it's a it's a thing that that uh, every room in my house has a little bit of Star Wars in it, a little bit of Ninja Turtles, probably something from Superman, uh, just all sorts of stuff. 
everywhere in this house. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't, uh, there, it takes a lot to embarrass me. I'm not, and I'm not ashamed of, I'm not ashamed of liking things. And you know what? I just say that's something that I think I learned, uh, I learned from you, Steve, from, from Geek Out Loud and not being afraid to, to just be a total geek about certain things and, and definitely geek out loud being the safe place to geek out and, and being part of that community. Uh, at a certain point in my life around when I started podcasting and everything, I, I just decided I really don't care. I don't care what other people think about it. it I'm not going to stop being just completely enthusiastic about the things that I love because my older brother thinks that it's silly that I still <laughs> like Ninja Turtles right. or I still get up on Saturday mornings and watch cartoons, you know. Uh, it, that, it, it makes me happy and, uh, and I'm not going to let other people's unhappiness in their lives get in the way of, of me being more awesome. There, that's, there, there that's you how. go. There you go. Well, and you, and you've got a great, uh, you've got a great, I was going to say supporter, but almost enabler, um, in your wife. <laughs> <Yes. so. laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? We, we enable each other back and forth. Uh, cause, cause Crystal, when, when, when we started dating, she was definitely a little bit more low key on things. I mean, she, like all, well, I shouldn't say all girls, but like, like many girls, she, you know, she liked Care Bears and, and, and she had her own things that she was a little bit geeky about, but that when you're a girl, it's okay to be, it's kind of cute, you know, it's cute right, sort right. of thing to, to have a stuffed animal or whatever. Um, but over the years, I've definitely brought her out of that. And into uh, she's a she's a huge Ninja Turtle fan now. Uh, I'll, I'll come home, and she'll she'll be watching uh, an episode of the new Ninja Turtle series, and oh, wow. uh, and it just, nothing makes me happier than moments like that. Um, the other day, I we we were we were in bed going to sleep, and I said something offhand about Star Wars, about uh, about about Palpatine, and and. Uh, it was something about Palpatine being a Jedi first, and I was like, "No, Palpatine wasn't a Jedi first. He was just a he was just a guy, and he didn't he didn't even become a Sith until he was like in his late twenties, thirties." And she was like, "Well, who taught him?" And I was like, "Oh, this guy Darth Tenebris, Darth Plagueis." And she's like, "Well, who taught him?" And Darth Tenebris, and and I, I, she's like, "But I thought that you had to be a Jedi to be a Sith." I was like, "No, that's just Count Dooku." And she was like, "Oh." Well, Yoda taught Count Dooku, though. I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> and she's like, "And I was like, who's who? Who was Count Dooku, the 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 Jedi Master?" She's like, "Oh, Qui Gon Jinn," and I was just like, "How do you know these things? You've seen these movies like twice." And then you were like, and she "I love slept you." Through them the first time we watched them, but just she's she's absorbed it just being around right. me, and that and just that makes me so happy. And then you were like, just, "I love you," and she was all like, "I know." Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, she's just she's by osmosis. She now knows the like the lineage of of you know uh, uh, Star Wars mentors that yeah. all the way from from Yoda to Luke, and now she understands that you don't have to be a Jedi to be a Sith. And it's uh, it, these moments that 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 we have where where she likes to geek out, and then she'll and then she'll be like, "Well, I'm not as geeky as you though," and she'll 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 try and maintain that she's. Uh, too cool for it but uh but i know that she's a she's a huge geek at heart she can't wait for star wars celebration <laughs> and uh, mostly to see you guys but it's also sure. oh man celebration anaheim uh celebration seven 
as as we uh you know seven eight nine right we're as as we're gonna call it mm-hmm. uh, in Anaheim at Disneyland essentially I mean right across the street at right. the Anaheim Convention Center uh that is gonna be incredible it's gonna be I a good time I'm I'm looking forward to it and I'm you know hopefully hopefully be able to make it and see you guys and um oh you're gonna make it okay. you're gonna be there. <laughs> You're going to be there. Carl and I have already had a conversation about this. Okay. All right. You're going to be there. If we have to start a Kickstarter to get you there. Let, let me tell you what I hope can happen because I don't I don't mind flying. I, I, I'm not afraid to fly. I enjoy it okay. But just when you're a fatty, flying is kind of not as enjoyable as it could be. I'm really hoping that I'm able to work out some type of road trip out mm-hmm. so that so that I am trekking across the country uh, to get to Anaheim, and if that happens, um, it's going to be documented via video. So, well, you, you need to you need to coordinate with the Blantons, I think. Oh, they're coming from the same the same direction, right? Yes, so. I mean like three. Yes, that's okay. Note to self: <laughs> Riley, Steve, Bethany, road trip movie. So. There you go. <laughs> and you know, and you could kickstart that. Right yeah, there. kickstart the documentary, the an- the yeah. celebration and have documentary. All right, we'll <laughs> we'll see about that. Well, right now we've got a couple of them, so let's jump into some emails. All right, this first one comes from Ron. Now. This is interesting because it goes back to our last episode on Geek Out Loud that we did together, Michael. Um, Ron is at 12MG12 on Twitter. And after our episode, and I I really, I I wonder if I can find it. I I hate trying to search for old conversations, especially when they're that far back. But basically, he called me out, and he may have called you out, um, as far as... I don't know why you guys are being so negative. You knew this was going to happen. That was the words that were used. You knew this was going to happen. Talking about yeah. the cancellation of the Clone Wars, the uh, the halt of the 3D releases, the 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 the, the Lucas Art stuff that went down. Yeah. And and my response to him was like, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know this this is something that never crossed my mind. And so um, and so I kind of mentioned that on the last episode, and I did my whiny voice for him. And he said, I'm not sure, but I think Steve was mockingly referring to me when you guys were talking about the initial disappointment with Disney when the Clone Wars was canceled. I believe that I tweeted that Steve was being unreasonably negative at the time. (laughs) And uh, he puts in parentheses, which he was. (laughs) Anyway, if it was just, if it was me, I just wanted to say awesome, except I do not have the whiny voice that Steve used to imitate me. Um, Actually, Ron, at 12MG12 on Twitter, you do have that whiny voice. Always and forever in my head. I don't know why you guys are being so negative about it. You knew it was going to happen. But, I, I mean, I was... I mean, Cohen, I feel like maybe you yeah. weren't in the same boat with me. But I'm. it's hard to get me to be negative about anything. Well, I'm going to say that. It's hard <laughs> It's hard for me to get to vocalize my negativity. It's, it's hard to get me to vocalize my negativity about anything. And and I feel like if I come to the point where I'm being vocal about it, then nine times out of ten, I've thought it out, and I have pretty good reasons. And there was something mm-hmm. you said when we talked last time that, you know, I, I you know I said it was, the show was, was uh, 
the Clone Wars, that is, was actually doing okay. And you, I mean, you stopped me. You're like, no, no, this show was doing more than okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say the wrong thing there. And and um, but the idea was it was a ratings, pretty much a ratings giant for Cartoon Network. Yeah. And now, as I said last episode, it was the Emmy Award winning. You can call it now the Emmy Award winning Clone Wars. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I don't know that that you know. And granted, now look, I'm looking forward to Rebels, as I know you are. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still feel like that what we got was not the natural ending of the Clone Wars. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I I mean, when we talked about it a little bit, and I've talked about it a lot on Frontlines, that there was definitely a tone at Celebration 6 that was different from Celebration 5. Uh, When you talk to Dave Filoni at all the press conferences, at at all of his panels, uh, when we were at Celebration 5, the the tone was very much... I mean, his, his catchphrase was... Well, we're working like two, three seasons ahead of you guys, and that was going into into season three, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, I uh, they were working on season five actively, and and I mean, like this is the thing at at Celebration Five, he knew that Darth Maul was coming back. He'd already recorded stuff with Sam Witwer. All of that stuff had already gone down, and I think that the excitement was what w- was for what was coming in season five. Um, the tone at Celebration 6 was so different. It was very much, uh, well, we've got some stories that we want to tell. We, we, we're, we're really excited to show you what we've worked on. Uh, and everything felt very past tense. Um, and it felt like it was rolling into something. But he was, also, he was also very hesitant. And I think that's because uh, at Lucasfilm, I think they knew something was happening. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, 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 I believe... Dave Filoni and uh, and and others from Lucasfilm when they say that they had no idea at Celebration Six what George was planning, but I do think that people knew that something was going to happen. Sure. I think that they knew that he was going to step down, that somebody was going to come in and replace him. I think they knew that stuff was getting ready to happen. I don't think they knew anything about the Disney stuff, mm-hmm. but I think that that Dave knew that the Clone Wars was definitely coming to a close. Um, I think that's why we get the Ahsoka story in season five, because I think you're preparing for season six to be the last season of, of the Clone Wars. Uh, I, I think that there was, I mean, the Darth Maul story, and spoilers for Clone Wars season five, if you haven't watched it by now, uh, I don't know what you've been doing, because it, it was the most amazing season. I, I agree. I think, I think Clone War, I think the season, the fifth season of Clone Wars was probably... Uh, full on, just the most well-rounded, best season of the show. It, it really yeah. felt like they finally found their legs and figured out how to do um, everything they wanted to do, from appealing to a younger audience to the episodes that appeal to an older audience to the things yeah. that balance out in between. So now, there's a four-episode misstep that I don't don't consider to be part of season five. They, oh yeah, I don't yeah. consider it to be part of the series personally. The the droid but, the droids episode. Yeah, <laughs> the, and the, only because only because of the the amount of sheer disappointment when they talked about that arc at that mm-hmm. celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like, oh, awesome! R two is going to get his own four episode arc and then r2 is is more of a side character in that story than he is when he's hanging out with obi-wan and 
yeah. Anakin. Yeah, he's more uh, of a, he's more of a side character too. Hey, here's the thing with me and that that arc is I had I think the arc would have been a lot better had it not been for if you replace that pit droid with R two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a lot that they could have done, and you can hear me talk about it ad nauseum on on front lines. So I won't get too deep into it. But the, but uh, the tone War, definitely seemed like they're they're going to wrap things up in another season, if sure. not maybe two seasons. Um, there was no like, well, we're going to push it to 200 episodes right. sort of thing because they had just come off of, or they were just going into the, the 100th episode uh, uh, mark in season five, um, getting ready for that. And and so it, it, it seemed to me like they were getting ready to finish up. And I will say, I don't think I've said this on Frontlines yet, and we haven't recorded uh, an episode of Rebels yet, so, so this will be the first time I think that I say this. I think that Rebels was in the the offing for for a while. I think that at Celebration they knew that Rebels was the next thing. Um, I don't know that they had you know the name and the the sort of the the tone and and the visual aspect nailed down to the to the degree that they do now. But I do think that there was a decision at Lucasfilm at Lucas Animation out on Dave Filoni's part that. Well, we are going to finish the Clone Wars sooner or later. It's a finite amount of stories that mm-hmm. we can tell. At some point, we got to roll it into Episode Three. It has to happen. Um, what do we do after that? What's the next thing? And because animation is such a long game, you have to start planning that stuff really early. Which and, is, uh, and so I think that he knew the next place we're going is at between Episode Three and Four. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that 1313 was supposed to tie into some of that stuff. I think that there were initiatives at Lucasfilm that were going to push in that direction, but then the Disney merger happened and, uh, and a lot of those initiatives got shelved because of the announcement of episode seven, eight, nine. So I'll, I'll um, go as far, I'll go as far to say that there was probably a lot more done than even you think may have been done at celebration, even though that was a year ago. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would imagine scripts were probably already in the process. I imagine they were probably already in the process of breaking some stories. Yeah, I think that the characters uh, and 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 again, this is another first. Uh, I think that the Wolfpack is going to be the main set of characters. Uh, Dave Filoni is is famous for for being the uh, the creator of the Wolfpack, which is a, a set of real people. If you listen to the, to the Force Cast, or sorry, Rebel Force Radio. Rebel Force Radio, yeah. I. Uh, if you listen to that, the the the, the wolf pack is essentially a, a, a casting crew and and members of of the official sort of Lucasfilm team or or past members in some instances, I uh, I uh, and and so like that that's a that's a part of Dave's mythology in the real Star Wars community, but I I think that he's been looking for an opportunity to bring that into the the proper Star Wars continuity, uh, other than just Plo Koon's clone troopers, because mm-hmm. they're kind of informally referred to as the Wolf Pack. Right. But because uh, if you go back to, there were a bunch of URLs that that were registered, and Star Wars Wolf Pack was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so hmm. I think that that was a potential name for the series. Uh, so I think the Wolf Pack are going to be the band of rebels that we hang out with. I think that 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 ship that we've seen that I don't think uh, it's got the name is Ghost. The Ghost, yeah. Uh, which I think is is homage and a clear nod to Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I think that when you when you 
put together all of these these factors, and uh, you, you know Dave Filoni as as well as uh, some of us fans do because we've been following him for the last seven years and uh, hanging on his every word and dissecting <laughs> it. You, you can start to put things together, and uh, and and Frontlines I think will show that I've got a pretty good track record in predicting a lot of these things. Mm. Uh, I predicted at Star Wars Celebration, I think, uh, post uh, the 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 season five trailers. I'm pretty sure that I predicted the Asajj Ventress. Ahsoka Tano team up uh, uh, so uh, you know I, I just just you know trust me I've, I've got a good feeling about this but well I, I mean I think it's a sound I think it's a sound idea about what's coming on the pipe I also hope that through the storytelling of Rebels though that a few of these storylines from the Clone Wars get carried over and wrapped up yeah. because it's not uh, uh, impossible and it's not really improbable that this kind no. of stuff could happen um well, at, at Celebration Europe, Dave did say that there will be opportunities to bring in characters that are familiar mm-hmm. and that characters that he has created are definitely ones that uh, that he's a little bit more inclined to include. So I think now everybody's going to point to Ahsoka, and I think that, that that's a little bit on the nose. Um, I think that we could see some Ahsoka stuff. What with the way that that her story concluded on the Clone Wars, even though it's not really a conclusion, because um, uh, it's very open ended. But mm-hmm. I think Hondo Onaka we will definitely see in Rebels. Yeah, uh, I I think that Hondo is uh, a, a character that, especially in season five, cemented into uh, himself into the Star Wars universe. Oh, and yeah. we're not getting rid of him. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and I think Cad Bane will also oh, I so. be around. I think that we'll I, I think so. that we'll see him as well. Yeah. Because those those voice actors mm-hmm. uh, are definitely people that, that Dave's gonna work with in the future and uh, and those characters uh, they just they're so versatile they fit into any Star Wars story that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at any point in time you can just slot Hondo into a story. And when you need a bounty hunter that's not Boba Fett there, there used to be this whole staple of bounty hunters that you would go to, mm-hmm. and now I think Cad Bane is at the top of that list for a lot of storytelling. Listen, they, they I want to use him. Cad Bane, Cad Bane and Himbo were the two that I came away saying, okay. And of course, Cad Bane's more of a main character than what Himbo yeah. is. But these, these are, I've never been one to be attracted to the underworld types, but those two, yeah. for whatever reason, absolutely captured my imagination. I love everything they did with the character of Cad Bane. He is. He is what we all imagined that Boba Fett would be in a, you know in, in an adventure by himself, and very well could be, but we never really truly got to see Boba Fett do his thing. Yeah. Um, you know, us original trilogy fans in in an official Lucasfilm capacity. Now we've seen different stories and stuff that have been written in the comics yeah. and various novels, but Cad Bane to me, he's just. He's like this is every this is Boba Fett without being Boba Fett, you know, right down to he's got rocket boots for crying out loud. Yeah, well, and I th- I think that there was a there was a, a a setup there to have Cad Bane be a, a an archetype for Boba Fett to mm-hmm. aspire to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because he had sort of spent the majority of his life following in his father's footsteps and and wanting to be Jango Fett. But then when you see your father die at the hands of a Jedi, you go, okay, well, maybe I need to be a little bit better than him. Right. Right? And I think I think knowing Boba Fett as a character and knowing Jango Fett as a character, I, that's not 
that's not heartless. That's just the way that a no, that's that's thinks, yeah, right? and that's yeah. Well, and not even a Mandalorian. That's the way that a that a sharp bounty hunter would think. Yeah, and that's yes. the way Django would want Boba Fett to think. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So I mean, when you see Cad Bane, Cad Bane doesn't fall into the pitfalls that I think Django did. I, I Cad Bane keeps up with Jedi, uh, even to the point of being able to wield a lightsaber against Obi Wan Kenobi of all people i mean that he doesn't do it expertly but he doesn't die and i think that that's the important part uh you know so that that that's a character that's got legs and uh and and he'll be back for sure yeah um so i mean you know all of the things that that have happened with lucasfilm over the course of the last uh say almost almost a year it's about nine months Mm -hmm. um all of these things that have happened uh We've definitely lost a lot of things that we were looking forward to coming out of last year's E3 uh, in, in 2012 and definitely coming out of Star Wars Celebration. We had all these things that were sort of on the roster that they had sort of pumped us up for. And then uh, one by one, they started taking them away. But they started taking them away because they needed to clear the board. And now they've started putting things back out. And it's like, okay, now that the board is clear and things have been reorganized and the corporate things have happened you know the business side has been taken care of here are the things that you can start getting excited about now there's definitely like a there's a there's sort of a no man's land uh, dearth of of uh, of no real exciting content until uh, next fall right when when the Re- when rebels hits but um i mean we're Star Wars fans. Yeah. If there's anything that we know how to make uh, into an event, <laughs> it's, it's it's the lead up. You know, that's right. So, it's the I mean, it is the hype leading up to something. So yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And that's, and uh, that's our mo. So. And and you've already you have you have secured rebelspodcast.com. Yeah, and that'll be the the home of what is the title of Re- of your rebels podcast? It's, it's really simple. We're just the rebels podcast. Okay. We're so that'll be the, the home rebel. of the Rebels That's podcast. It, Let me tell you something. Uh, Kudos yeah. to you for wrapping that up quick, sir. <laughs> Day of. Day uh, yeah, of yeah. Like I mean, like that. Obvi- like I could tell the minute because you emailed him. We're all still supposed to get together to talk this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like you, I was like, wow, he's that pretty fast on the draw. I, I'm not that smart to think that quickly. So, um, Ron, it, you know, it was a natural extension because when we got the announcement that Clo- Clone Wars was ending, uh, Matt and I had a conversation, and it was essentially, "Well, what do you do? What, like, what do we do with this amazing community that we've built mm-hmm. uh, over the last five years? Um, how how do we how do we keep this but transition into a new sort of into a new era? Right, right we're moving right. from from the Clone Wars into whatever comes next." And uh, and and we we're like, well, they're they're saying that there's going to be an animated series. I, I mean, why wouldn't they do another animated series? But it's probably going to be keyed towards Episode Seven. And so we kind of we were like, well, whenever that happens, that's uh, that's that's what we'll do. We'll just we'll keep doing what we've been doing. We'll keep giving commentary on on Clone Wars or on Star Wars television. Um, but we're just going to have to you know be in a holding pattern until that announcement is made and that announcement happened and that it thankfully it happened on a Saturday mm-hmm. and uh, and so that Saturday I mean I woke up I saw that announcement on on Facebook and uh, 
and I just I jumped into action. I leapt into action and, and just started <laughs> throwing stuff together. And uh, and by the end of that day, yeah, we had we had the domain. Uh, I had a logo. We had the website up and running within 24 hours. Um, Amazing. So well. So yeah. Ron Ron goes on to say. Uh, just want to congratulate Geek Out Loud for the 75th episode, part one, since there was no Derek. Uh, the three of you talking about me, Riley, and Bethany. And you haven't listened to the all of episode 75 yet. No, because um, I because I haven't watched Battlestar, Battlestar. yet. Because okay. uh, I haven't had the opportunity, so I don't want to uh, get too spoiled on it. He Any said, more spoiled than I already have by waiting this long. I understand. Um, the three of you uh, have awesome chemistry, and it comes through. Uh, I think the only time I've heard hosts from two different podcasts come together and it doesn't sound like anyone is actually just a guest. If I was listening for the first time, I would assume that all three of you do a regular podcast together. Even better was the amazing effect that Steve Steve seems to have on Bethany. And this is something that kind of came out over the time that they were here. Apparently, I bring out an evil side of Bethany. (laughs) Um, I don't know what that's about, uh, but uh, he says he's never heard her have so much fun. Definitely need to hear more of Bethany on the Star Wars board. I want to talk about the whole idea of no one sounding like they're just a guest because I feel like, Cohen, as you're here, you don't sound like just a guest on this show. Um, I hope not. No, and and, the, and, I, and I really, I honestly think that harkens back to Celebration 6. Mm-hmm. Because I had been on the Star Wars report prior to Celebration 6. Uh, I'd been on... Clone War, the front lines, you had not been on Geek Out Loud. I'd been on front lines <laughs> <laughs> prior to... so and, and all those times, I think I really conducted myself as a guest, but after Celebration 6, it's like, mm, I'm just sitting with friends now. True, true, true blue friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's hard to feel like you're guesting somewhere when you're just talking to a friend. And I, and I think that's what that's about. And honestly, that's what I hope... And that's why I'm very selective about the people I have on the show. N- not necessarily you. It just never worked out with you, and then it became a bit. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, there are a lot of people who reach out, but like I'd love to come on Geek Out Loud sometimes. I'm like, eh, eh you know. Um, I feel like, and this, you know, and I'm just addressing what Ron said in his email here. I really feel like that um, that you know, for this to be a safe place to geek out, that it needs to be friends sitting around talking. Mm-hmm. You know, that it needs to be people who have a good rapport, who who enjoy each other's company. And who genuinely want to listen? Genuinely, rather want to listen to each other, and and carry on a conversation. And that's what that's what this is all about. Ron gets into this though. He says, "My question," and he posed this to Riley, Bethany, and me because he sent this also to the Star Wars report. But I'm jumping in on it now because it is Star Wars related, and it's something I've never really spoke a lot about uh, on Geek Out Loud or even in Steve's Star Wars corner. But it's it it merits since you're here and, and we're both big Star Wars guys, it merits talking about it. Uh, apparently a couple of days ago, the at Star Wars Twitter stated conclusively that Tarkin did not know that Vader and Anakin Skywalker were the same person. Um, if you listen to Rebel Force Radio with Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack, uh, you've heard Kyle Newman and Sam Witwer both say that they think Tarkin knew and apparently they were surprised by this and did not buy it. Uh, Ron says he's always been in their camp. He's always thought that Tarkin knew the secret. The dialogue in A New Hope seems to strongly indicate that Tarkin does know. What do you guys think? I'd love to hear you guys talk about it. So, uh, before I give my opinion, Michael, I defer the floor to you, sir. The Tarkin-Anakin-Vader conundrum. Uh, I, 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 I almost definitely think that Tarkin knows. I mean, there, there's... Um, 
there's important stuff that happens in the Clone Wars, uh, in in the Citadel rescue arc, uh, that indicates that Tarkin and and Anakin have a very similar methodology. They they think very closely to one another, um, and I and I think that Tarkin he realizes that and he starts to position himself with uh, with Palpatine. I I honestly think that that Tarkin knew Palpatine's plans alongside, you know, cause there's a few people that are sort of in his inner circle and this mm-hmm. is definitely, none of this is in Canon. This is all just speculation on my part, but I, uh, based on the way that Tarkin acts at Ahsoka's trial and sort of prior to that trial and some of the things that he says, you can tell that he knows that, that something's coming, mm-hmm. that, that Palpatine has plans mm-hmm. um, and that he has plans for the Jedi and specifically that he has plans for Anakin because you see him position himself close to Anakin and in a in a way that you know when all this goes down cuz Tarkin is after one thing and that's power that's all he cares about mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um same as Palpatine and and he positions himself in a in a way that when this all goes down he will be one of the handful of people that Palpatine goes to and he knows that if he positions himself with Anakin, if the two of them have a working relationship, that's going to be to his benefit. Um, and I think based on all those things, I speculate that, that he has inside information. Um, and uh, But you can almost definitely assert, based on the Clone Wars and A New Hope, especially the, the dialogue in A New Hope, that, mm. that he knows that well. Anakin and Vader are the same person. Okay, all right. I, I'm going to disagree. Okay. I'm going to disagree, and it comes down to a couple of things. One of it comes down to my own assumption for years and years and years and years before we ever had the Clone Wars, before we had everything. It based on just what we see uh, in the movies, and then some. And then there is some stuff from the EU that I kind of took into account. And and the first thing is the the dialogue in A New Hope. I always kind of thought everyone thinks the same thing that Ben tells Luke. That you know that Vader was an apprentice who betrayed and murdered Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. That they're so different that the only person who ever, the only people who ever saw Anakin really do anything as Darth Vader outside of the suit mm-hmm. are probably dead. You know, the only people that may not be dead <laughs> yeah. are maybe some clones. Yeah. You know, but everyone else is dead or in hiding. And when all of a sudden this black masked figure Vader steps in the scene and all the Jedi are gone, there's no reason. He's he's Darth Vader. He's not Anakin Skywalker. His name's Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. And and Palpatine never refers to him as Anakin. In fact, when they have the conversation in Empire, he says the son of Skywalker. He he keeps referring to Luke in uh, in of course it's for the story purposes so the reveal the inner work, but also yeah. I think there's also it speaks to uh, it becomes one of those storytelling devices that ends up speaking to the character that both of these guys look at Anakin Skywalker as someone who's dead and gone. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that Tarkin felt like Vader was just someone who the Emperor had or who showed up to take out the Jedi uh, in in the wake of, of whatever else. So um, now tack on to that this part, and this is something people seem to leave out, and I think this is the key. when When they're having the whole he is here, um, surely he must be dead by now. You know, you're the only, and he, and this is what, this is what Tarkin tells Vader. You're the only one that's left of their religion. 
Tarkin doesn't even know that Palpatine's a Sith. Yes. And so I rip and for Tarkin to know that Anakin is Vader, I feel like he'd have to know that Palpatine's a Sith. I'd have to feel, I'd feel like he'd have to be that much in the inner circle. And so I think that Tarkin is just kind of buying into a similar story to what Obi-Wan has told people. Anakin's dead. Vader killed him. Now, see, uh, one of the things that makes me feel that, 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 that the relationship between Anakin and Tarkin is intact from the Clone Wars is that Vader doesn't answer to anyone except for the Emperor. Mm-hmm. But in A New Hope, we see him answer to Tarkin. Not necessarily in a, like, you command me and so I'll do what you what you say because I don't have a choice. It, Vader is definitely deferring to Tarkin. Mm-hmm. Like he's going like, look, we have a professional working relationship. You say <laughs> let him go, don't kill him. Look, we have a professional At, relationship. Yeah. You want you, you want wish. me to let him go, I'll let him go. Wait. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> it, he cap, encapsulates it in as you wish. As which you is wish. just like it's a it's almost like a yeah, I outrank you. You know I outrank you, but there's a relationship that goes back to when Anakin was uh, much younger and Tarkin was already high up in the military and, uh, and sort of, you know, giving him orders at one point. And that may go, um, that may go one way, but I don't know that it goes both ways. I, I always read that Tarkin thinks he's the one in control. You know, I don't, okay. I don't think Tarkin reads that as there and this, and here's where I get into some EU stuff. And then later on, as you're reading the EU, you find out that the way that's kind of explained is, Vader was basically sent there to keep Tarkin in check, but he's playing a role mm-hmm. where, you know, where he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll play along, but the minute you try to use this to take out the Emperor, um, I'm taking you out kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. that's what in the EU always came down to, is that Tarkin wanted his hands on that Death Star so that he yeah. could use it against the Emperor. Mm-hmm. And that, so, uh, where, that, That's in the EU? That's in, that's in a story? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember where. I want to say it might have been in the New Jedi, not the New Jedi Order, but the uh, Jedi Academy trilogy. Okay. Where they're, when they're building a new Death Star, and, and that kind of comes out. Um, maybe it was in some of Zahn stuff with, with some of Akbar's background, because you find out that Akbar was a personal slave to Tarkin, you know, and some of that EU stuff. And, okay. um, and so I want to say that that's kind of where some of that stuff comes from. Is Or maybe it was like one of the old character encyclopedias but i know i've read it I've, i know i've seen on the printed page that that's that that's what was happening is that vader was just playing a role because the emperor knew that tarkin would try to take power with the death star okay so that's interesting mm-hmm. see now like my, my but again that's uh, eu i can't you know yeah yeah well see and and i'm backing some of my stuff up with eu because i'm thinking the darth plagueis stuff mm-hmm. and how um but based on the movies, you wouldn't think that too many people are in on Palpatine's stuff. There's the um, Masameda, mm-hmm. uh, who's like his his sort of his right hand uh, bureaucrat guy right. to deal with the politicians. That I think knows what's up and what's going on. Um, I think I think even in, in the Darth Plagueis novel, it's it's pretty much said. And there's a few other characters like those those two wrinkly dudes from Return of the Jedi. That are always hanging around right. with, with Palpatine, that uh, they that are sort of his aides that know the whole story. Yeah, and but, I always I was always you, told, you get the, the idea that more people know. Yeah, for sure. I was always told back in the day those guys were like some type of dark force adepts, like they were trying yeah. to. And I don't know where that came from. That's one of those things that's always kind of been in the ether. 
Yeah. You know, kind of like uh, Boba Fett being a Mandalorian. You know, where did I first hear that? Maybe on the back of a card somewhere? I don't know. I think I think there's there's three places that I think a lot of our Star Wars knowledge came from back in the day that have kind of been lost to time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's you're 100% right that Kenner action figures had their little bios and stuff like that 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 would say was, things that weren't necessarily I was canon. Talking, I was talking about the trading cards. Oh, the trading cards. Okay. Yeah. Um and and then there was the there was the the customizable card game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. that Decipher did. That a lot of my Star Wars knowledge from the original trilogy comes mm-hmm. from those cards. A lot of my expanded universe. That CCG though is from kind of the late nineties, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so see, there's I a was lot never of like, Gavin Felth is a character yeah. that had his own card, and you know that he's a stormtrooper that was on Tatooine. He's one of the ones that they let Luke go that Obi Wan mind tricked and it ruined his life. And there's a whole story that goes <laughs> along with that. Um, I thought that was just a robot chicken sketch. <laughs> no, it's it's a that's a that's an actual character. Like the the character of Davin Felth was the one who was like, he wasn't the one that said move along. He wasn't right. the one being mind trick, but he was like, there was like two two stormtroopers there, and he was. Is one he the, the one that got there. spit spit on by Owen? <laughs> Possibly, because you know, there's I, I, there before Owen was killed. Like the yeah. whole idea is that like there's some, that, and I don't know where this comes from. That yeah. he literally spit in a tor- stormtrooper's face. You know, because yeah. he wouldn't tell them where Luke was in the droids. Yeah. and that's why they got kind of vaporized. Kind of, uh, kind of. Yeah, I don't, there's so many places that that EU stuff, yeah. and then those those essential guides. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. were those were essentially the Bible to Star well, see, Wars. I just fans go back a lot. a lot. There's a lot of my knowledge of Star Wars because I never got big into the Decipher game until Decipher lost the license. That's how that's how behind I am a lot of times on collecting these sort of things. Never did any of the West End books back way back in the day. Yeah, it really my stuff. I don't know where it comes from. Um, there's just stuff that we'd sit around and we talk about, and and like I say, it's either the back of trading cards, and I'm talking like from '83, '84, you know, '82, '83, uh, yeah. you know, and and there's just some stuff that I'd always kind of just known. It was well, just you know, th- there's also the novelizations mm-hmm. for the original trilogy. They never read them um, because the the people who wrote those novels. Yeah, uh, and if you look at the, I have a copy of 1976, the Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, which is the it's a first printing. It's oh, wow. uh, it's not in the best condition, but my dad found it for me earlier this year and gave it to me as a birthday present. Um, and it says written by George Lucas. It's not actually written by George it's Lucas. Alan it's Dean written Foster. by a ghostwriter. Yeah, but. Those ghostwriters, uh, well, the ghostwriter for for that first one, and then the writers of of the Empire Strikes Back movie novelization and the Return of the Jedi one, they had access. They're they're some of the rare few people who've had access to George's original notes on backstory and that sort of thing, which is why there's the excerpt from the uh, A New Hope from the Star Wars that goes into the fight between. Anakin and Vader, Anakin mm-hmm. and Obi Wan, on the side of a volcano, and that's where that came from. Yeah, right? so that's, like, that's a, yeah. where that knowledge comes yeah. from. Is from the novelization. I, I would think that Boba Fett being a Mandalorian and all of that stuff similarly comes from it the may. novels. It may, yeah, it, it may. But I, again, I never read the novels until like the nineties, mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's a lot of stuff I carried with me. Once that stuff's already kind of part of the right the environment yeah it's it's interesting how those things because it is um star wars has become legendary and mythological to a lot of 
the fans. I mean, right? It's it's yeah. everything Lucas wanted it to be, and then some. <laughs> well, it's it's almost it's almost religious to an element because there's there's like a, much like the Old Testament was for thousands of years an oral tradition. A lot of Star Wars fans get their knowledge from other Star Wars fans, yeah, and you yeah. may not have necessarily read that source material, but somebody else read it, mm-hmm. and then they told you their account of it, and that's your memory. Yeah. And now that becomes your version of the Star and whether they were right or wrong, and I know that I've said things on podcasts that it's like, they're my recollection of a story that I read five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and you know things get mixed up and 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 there's so much Star Wars continuity that that you know it's, things just become part of this oral tradition of fan to fan to fan and they're passed down from generation to generation and it it becomes this this uh, organism almost like yeah, it's a living yeah, breathing yeah. document mm-hmm. which is why when continuity errors happen or continuity gets wiped out like in the Clone Wars. Um, it doesn't bother me as much because Star Wars, much like Superman, much like Spider-Man, much like every piece of pop culture iconography that we've mythologized, it, it just it means to me what it means to me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I've internalized it, and it's my thing. And and you know, if it's if I'm right, I really don't care as long as I'm okay with with uh, the way that I feel about a certain story happening, like. I can tell you until we get something that disproves this, my continuity is that Darth Maul comes back, Obi-Wan and him have a few confrontations, Palpatine gets word, deals with Darth Maul, takes him back, you know, and and when he says at the end of that, I have plans for you, what he means is I'm going to hold on to you and you're going to be my assassin for when I need to take somebody out. Like you're going to be my contingency plan in case something happens with Anakin. And uh, and something happens with Anakin, and you know Obi Wan is out there as a loose end, and so Palpatine sends him out as as you know I'm gonna I'm gonna tie up this loose end that is Obi Wan Kenobi, and uh, and and that's when you get that visionary story yeah, where yeah. Darth Maul shows up on Tatooine, and you think at first it's to kill Luke, but then you find out that he was actually just after Obi Wan the, the whole it's time. It's just this vengeance thing. Yeah. And so that's my personal continuity. And until we get the standalone Obi-Wan Kenobi movie that Ewan McGregor has been campaigning for as of this week, um, <laughs> which, man, it will Dude, be perfect because I, him and Ray uh, Park are still around and yes. the guy that played Owen is still around. And yes. just everything is perfect well, for not that even, movie not to even, happen. Even, hey, look, even if they don't do it that way, even if it's just that somehow Obi-Wan and Maul come to blows and the Obi-Wan yeah. finishes it once and for all. I'll be cool with that. Yeah, well, he needs his he needs to get his uh not vengeance necessarily, but he needs a little bit of closure. Yes. On the fact well, that that Maul spoilers again. Spoilers, please. If it, it just skip It's a five year seconds. old spoiler alert. Yeah, I I that Maul kills Satine, mm-hmm. which is the only woman that that Obi-Wan has ever loved. Uh, unless you cancel me, you stuff, but I don't, because uh, I haven't read that stuff. So, Clone Wars is my continuity. Um, well, yeah, like that—that that, that I need closure on that more mm-hmm. than Obi Wan needs closure, and <laughs> I mean, like that's—you can hear me talk all about that on front lines as well. Well, and see, and that's and that's the thing that things, and we have spiraled out of it. Does Tarkin no conversation back into this? Yeah, that the, that's the thing that the rebels 
uh, show is going to just open so many possibilities and doors for. Here's there's a line in Return of the Jedi that that makes me always want to see this scene, and that is when Vader tells Luke, "Obi Wan once thought as you did." I want to see Obi-Wan think that way because when Obi-Wan gets to Mustafar, you know, he may think that he can spare him, but but he's like, you're truly lost. I, We never really get to see Obi-Wan truly think the way that Luke does as far as yeah. there's still good in him. I'd love to see Obi-Wan go rogue and, you know, like this be a whole season finale into a season opener kind of thing. I'd love to see Obi-Wan go rogue, try to go after Vader and just... You know, those two have it out again, and and, yeah. and for some reason, Vader lets Obi Wan escape, or Obi Wan escapes with his life, realize, you know, just thinking, well, Vader is, you know, Anakin is dead. As far as I'm concerned, he killed Anakin Skywalker, and you know, and so that when Vader looks at him in Star Wars and says, "You should not have come back," you know, the idea is, "I've creamed you once; I'll cream you again." Yeah, because I think what that'll do also is it'll it'll help rebuild. Some of the stuff for all the good that the prequels did for us, and all the and, and and I'm not a prequel hater by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even know why I say that before I start talking this way. Um, the one thing, one of the things that the prequels did do um, is they kind of chipped away at the the villain persona of Vader too much. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that if you can see, and I think if we get to see in Rebels, Vader really be like I hate to say this, I hate what the words that are about to come out of my mouth. But if we could see Vader kill Ahsoka, mm. you know that kind of stuff. Um, sort of take his seat back at, at the at the yeah. top of the bad guy list. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, I I agree because because there are definitely characters that were a little bit more villainous than than Vader comes to be mm-hmm. uh, when you sort of when you've got all this backstory for him because mm-hmm. Dooku just seemed like he was, all he cared about was just being a Sith, just being powerful. Right. right? And Grievous was just kind of a jerk. Right, so the, we had villains that were definitely more villainous than than you start to see Vader as, because by by middle of Empire, you start to see Vader as a sympathetic guy when you know all that other stuff, where he's like, oh, I, I have I have a son, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and turn him, and then we're gonna kill the Emperor, and then everything will be okay, just like I wanted it to be in those other movies. Remember when I was a person, and you're like. <laughs> Right, because you got you flashback all the way to episode two where he's talking to Padme, and he's yeah. like, "Well, you know, somebody should just make them all agree." Right, and she's like, "Oh, you're you're joking," and it's like, "No, he wasn't joking. That's what he feels. That's how he thinks mm-hmm. it should work," mm-hmm. and that's all he's trying to do. After he loses Padme, that's the only thing he has left. Is like, I'm going to make sure nobody else has to deal with this sort of thing, and the way that I'm going to do that is by having complete and utter tyrannical control of the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to enforce order. And, uh, you know, it doesn't go so well for him. So, no, yeah, no, it, it, he isn't that villainous uh, when you start to break him down. But I think in A New Hope, he definitely has some aspects that you're like, wow, he just kind of kills people. He just walks around choking dudes and uh, throwing them Let me tell you something. One of the greatest moments in Star Wars is when he's, holding Antilles up by the neck and just, yeah. you know, snaps. And I, I've always loved Commander, tear this ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers. I want them alive. 
Um, yeah. I have, for some reason, that, that has always captured my imagination and has stuck with me for years and years and years and years about Vader. That defined Vader for me, more than him walking onto that ship, but just that whole thing. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is, is the Vader we see in Empire uh, is someone who has found out, without the Emperor knowing, has found out that it was a Skywalker, if not his son, then it was a Skywalker who mm-hmm. who blew up the Death Star and and all the choking out of people as they fail is less villainous and more him lashing out. Yeah, um, it's it's emotional. Yeah, and so yeah. when we hit return though, and he's told Luke and he's confronted Luke and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is his son. Return of the Jedi really gives us that conflicted villain. From the moment Luke lets go and Vader's just standing there looking down, watching Luke fall at the end of Empire, to that moment where they're talking on that gantry uh, in Jedi, you there's you just... I'm sorry, he's one of the most well-written villains of all time as far as mm-hmm. the dynamic character goes, even without, you know, without the prequels and with the prequels included, just yeah. because of the journey that this man takes. And... Um, but I would like to see him. Do, I mean, I, look, I don't care what anybody says. You can complain about emo Anakin all you want to. He killed kids. Yeah, he is. He he deserves to be punished. He deserves you know everything that's coming to him. Um, but if there can be some redemption in the end, good for him. I'm glad because that that I don't know. There's a lot. Gosh, to get into the mythology of Star Wars off of, and that's what I love about Star Wars. We started with, do you think Tarkin knows? You say yes, I say no, and we jump into a million other things. So, <laughs> let me ask you this real quick to, to, to get off of Star Wars because we got more to talk about. Okay. Um, you you haven't listened to all of Episode seventy five. Did you happen to fast forward to the end? I did. Okay. Um, we we did get from our good friend Dave in the Quiet Corner. We got this email. And I always like to read Dave in the Quiet Corner's emails because he always has something worthwhile to say. He says, uh, just finished the 75th anniversary show, and you were right, Steve. That song keeps playing over and over in my head. Oh, my lantern. Dave in the Quiet Corner. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ben Foster wrote a song for us. You can find it along with a lot of other things that he and his group do at The Fandom Menace dot bandcamp.com I believe it's a free it is a free download uh, for all the different stuff they do they had their Rebel Force radio sh- uh, song they did a song about celebration where Geek Out Loud gets a shout out and um, check them out uh, the fandom menace dot bandcamp dot com and this is a this is a tune that'll get stuck in your head if you listen to it It's time for some snippets, Cohen. So, uh, what do you think of the song? By the way, is that not crazy? It's it's awesome. I love that <laughs> that you've got that. There's a geek out loud song. I, right, I know, right? It's and and I did, dude. I was listening to it um, the other day. I, I had it. It ended up on my iPod. No idea how. And um and so I'm going down the road and I had the iPod plugged in and I downloaded some. I had some other music that I was. 
that I was listening to. So I just had it like on the recently added playlist, mm. and that pops on, and like I just started to go back up because I couldn't get it out of my head after. I'm like, I gotta hear that song again. Geek out loud is on. Geek out loud is on. And I'm like, I this is the most self aggrandizing thing I've ever done is ride around listen to a song about my show. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it is snippet, snippet. That's the part that gets me. I'm like, he just used snippet as a bridge, and um, I'm totally down with that. So I think I think that everybody at some point should have their own song. Yes, I and that you know everybody should feel that way. I don't think there's anything wrong. Uh, you say self-aggrandizing. I just say self-affirming, and that's a good thing. I, I think that's a positive thing because it just like I, I try and express this to people. I try and express this, but you know, if you can just this because this is my mentality. So if you walk around in life thinking that you're just you know you're just another person and you're average and normal, or in some instances, some people walk around thinking they're less than that. It's just, it's ridiculous. Every single person is awesome, and you just got to figure out how you're awesome. And once you unlock that, once you figure that out and you have that moment of self-realization, there's nothing wrong with walking around with the attitude and feeling that you are awesome. There's always room for improvement, but don't forget that you're awesome. Because if you're awesome, then, then you know, you're just on an upward trend. That's all that is, you know? So if you have your own song... And you can rock out to that if you have the privilege of being able to rock out to your own, your own song that somebody has written for you. That's a, that's a one hundred percent positive thing in my mind. So. This has been a message from the president of the Foundation for Awesomeness Personified. <laughs> yes, and that's that's a title that I did not give myself that a friend gave to me because uh, I like to think that I do. I do get out there and I, I, uh, I, I stand on my pulpit and I try and share awesome things with people. Because, you know, I, I, you, can, you can share a fandom or you can share a spirituality or, or religious viewpoint, but sometimes these things can be alienating to other people. But if, you're, if your goal is to just share awesomeness with people and to just make the place a more awesome world for other people to live in nobody can fault you for that mm-hmm. uh, and if they do then they just clearly need a little bit more awesome in their life because they're they're lacking and that's something to feel sorry for them not to be angry with them so that's that's my uh, that's my that's my credo that's my my way of life so I just try and make things more awesome as much as I can thanks for joining us everyone we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs> Snippet, snippet. Um, <laughs> I, I hate to roll out of that into this, but all right, snippet. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the back to Star Wars, the Black series, okay. the uh, the new figure lines. What do you think? Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen the three and three quarter figures uh, popping up in in Canada here, but I I haven't seen the the six inch, mm-hmm. the proper Black series yet. So um, I definitely, I mean, I I should have gotten Jazz to pick me up one of those uh, one of those Boba Fets as Celebration Europe because Carl opened up his and I was like, oh, I'm so jealous because that's a really pretty figure. Yeah. Um, 
the but they're starting to show up on store shelves so i'm hoping that that i can pick one up by the end of the summer i'm heading down to seattle for penny arcade expo um so uh hopefully on my way down there i can stop at a walmart or a target and 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 uh root out one of those uh figures and get my hands on on i don't even know which one i want yet really like there there's a few that are really cool um but, you know, I, I just whichever one I see mm-hmm. and want. To. I'm just such a, I mean, I, if you look around the Star Wars room, it's all three and three quarters. Yeah. Um, with a couple of, like, vintage 12-inch figures here and there that, I mean, by vintage, I mean, like, from the first line ever with the Star, with the Vader and the Luke and that sort of thing. But I just, I'm, I can't. I don't know. I, I I don't have the money really or the room to start with si- with a six inch line, especially if they're mm. going to be making ships that fit them. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. I uh, because I collect so many things. Like I don't just collect Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I it's it's just it's a mishmash of everything that I've got. Right, but right. Mattel's been doing a lot of stuff, and uh, like they've done their Ghostbusters mm-hmm. and the Maddie Collector line and the and the He Man stuff. I have a lot of that stuff around, uh, so I do have a lot of stuff. I have more stuff in the six-inch realm right. at this point than I do in the three and three-quarter. So for me, I, I i mean, I've really moved away from collecting action figures, yeah. and I, I collect more along the lines of statues and the really high-end stuff. So mm-hmm. I'll make like two or three big purchases a year. Okay. And then and then a few smaller ones. I mean, I, I picked up the Obi-Wan Kenobi Mythos, and I haven't picked up anything since no that's not true i did pick up the uh the clone wars kit fisto but he was on sale uh so that's why i got him he was on sale at free comic book day um but yeah i mean i'll i'll generally sort of i i keep my eyes open and pick out the two or three things that i'm gonna buy in a year and uh and i'll stick with those uh so i mean like my 2014 is already sort of uh uh, all charted out because i expect um, I know that there's that Sideshow's got a really nice Superman, a 24-inch premium format Superman figure uh, statue that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, that I'm gonna pick up, and uh, and and they've also got um, a Hot Toys Iron Man armor, what, the uh, the the Gemini armor, which mm-hmm. was the uh, the space one from yeah. Iron Man three, mm-hmm. that kind of looks like a shuttle, a space shuttle. Right. That just because Star Wars space space shuttle iron man all mashed in together into one thing that's Must my favorite be the, uh, uh, iron man <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i just i'm not i i'm not bitter or angry about it i of course not that i'll see them around here anyway you know we've still got <laughs> empire strikes back waves sitting on our shelves at walmart so from the vintage collection so um but uh, the three and three quarter inch with the with the lack of articulation does kind of pique my interest a bit. Mm. But I've not seen any of them to really know. So that, I I saw the Luke and it's the 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 um the metal ceremony Luke mm-hmm. right, uh, which is um, it's my favorite version of Luke. Yeah. Um, I love that costume and I wish that we got to see more of it. I. Uh, but uh, hopefully we see some characters that look like that in Rebels. Uh, and stay tuned to, to RebelsPodcast.com because you'll see that outfit pop up. Um, but I, the figure I was kind of unimpressed with. But I've been unimpressed with Hasbro for the last five years or so. I, as they've acquired more things and, and I guess you could say diversified mm-hmm. um, 
and 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 sort of focused on on other areas i what used to be their their main line which was star, the star wars stuff uh has sort of fallen in in quality and in my esteem and and i think the one thing that they don't realize and this is this is toy manufacturers in general that they keep cutting costs and they keep making their figures for cheaper and cheaper so the paint applications aren't as good the sculpts aren't as good the plastic quality isn't as good as it used to be um and uh, as they do that they think that they're cutting costs and so they can keep producing the figures that they're producing and they'll you know people will be able to buy those figures what they're doing is they're just making their fans angry and uh, and people are just going to stop buying stuff so s- people stop buying stuff and so they go well we got to cut costs cuz we're just not shipping as much as we used to and it's this vicious cycle that we've kind of gotten into yeah. and i hope that the black series is hasbro trying to pull out of that tailspin and and say like okay we're going to put out some really nice stuff um and and hopefully win back some of the collector market because the kids they've already got a million Anakin's and a million Vaders right. and a million Juan Kenobi's and so you know it's it's time to start you know doing something new and something different. Well, the uh, thing the thing I keep hearing about it is um, you know it's it's comparable to the Marvel Legends line, and hmm. to me Hasbro ruined Marvel collecting for me when they got the license to do Marvel figures from Toy Biz. Yeah. Toy Biz had figured out other than the, the chase figure thing was a little too much that toy biz yeah. was doing but there those figures that they were putting out were incredible um you know and they were a premium price figure but i didn't mind paying a premium price for them because they were that good then hasbro started doing like a three and three quarter inch scale marvel figures and i really dug them i didn't really get any but i dug what they were trying to do and had yeah. i had the money to be able to collect them I totally would have just to say I w- I'd love to see some play sets with this, you know, some cityscapes, some, um, some maybe some different layers, you know, uh, whatever the case may be to help with the displayability of these things. But they they were able to do a more diverse line of figures. Um, but apparently they're bringing that Marvel Legends scale back. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it's just. And to me, they didn't do that great with the Marvel Legends line. And the and the distribution is what gets all screwed up to me. Um, I feel like I feel like that's where things are really lacking because somehow you'll have people in one area that that are getting all this new crap, and then in other areas, and and by other areas, I mean like apparently the whole state of Georgia because I can't go anywhere a lot of times and find anything new or different when these new waves are supposed to be out of anything, and and it gets a little frustrating. So. I'm 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 not that excited. I love the vintage idea. I wish they would. I'm I am in the Kyle Newman camp with that. I wish they would just continue with the idea of these vintage cards. Do the figures however you want to. We don't need all the super articulation and everything. But um, I would have loved to have seen that kind of that that carry because I was loving seeing vintage Attack of the Clones, vintage Phantom Menace, vintage Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, vintage expanded universe stuff they were doing. I love that idea, yeah. and I love them. You know, making new cards, and and new on vintage cards, and then even having some of the original ninety nine on there. I but you know that's just me personally, and that's me being stuck in the past. 
Well, you know, my my uh, drum that I've been banging with with Hasbro for quite a while since they started doing vintage really because they they announced oh we're gonna do vintage and then i saw them and i was like oh you're just gonna put new figures on vintage cards that's not very exciting right um what i want is i want an episode three obi-wan kenobi with no articulation and a terrible sculpt with a telescoping lightsaber <laughs> that comes out of his hand <laughs> yeah. you know like that's to what do i want when you say like we're gonna do episode three vintage figures that's what I want. Do, that, like, do I want to line see up with how the... do you interpret General Grievous through a 1977 oh. toy manufacturer's lens, right? Like, because that is cool. That's mm-hmm. that's the nostalgia that I think a lot of us fans want. It's what Gentle Giants capitalizing on right yeah. now with these yeah, twelve with inch yeah. vintage figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand those. I don't understand why anybody no, would. Want I don't those understand those either. I'm I'm but, with you there. Yeah, but but I would love three and three quarter vintage styles vintageized oh, right that is like a great travel idea. back and get somebody to make an obi-wan kenobi from episode three that's a great idea that yes that is a dude no not just that all of them just do yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah now i'm looking around and i'm looking at some of these newer stuff and dude a vintage darth maul yeah done that way Gee whiz. Vintage quite look at all the telescope and lightsabers we could have. Exactly. Mace right? Because that was that Cloak was like Doom. two characters three characters had that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but you know, now you could have every every character every has character a lightsaber in the way. prequels. Yeah. I mean, like Kit Fisto as a vintage figure would just blow my mind. Yes. I don't even know how you would start to think about that, but you'd have to really do your research. Mm-hmm. You'd have to look and okay, what were their limitations? Why did they make action figures this way? Right, and then you start to apply that stuff, and you go, "Well, how are we going to do dreadlocks on a character? Are they just going to be sculpted? Are they going to be something else? Are all the Jedi going to have the, just the vinyl capes? Right? Yeah. Like, oh, every single one of them. Every yeah. single one yeah. of them. Of course, I don't know. By the time they got to Empire, they were doing a soft goods cape or a soft goods cloak they were. on Yoda. Yeah. yeah. Um, I and see, this is my thing. I hate soft, soft cloaks. I I hate that stuff. It just it drives me nuts because uh, it it, does, it never looks right. No, it's not heavy enough to fall right. Yeah, it's, it's always got like weird wrinkles in it, and it's kind of mm-hmm. they start to curl, and yeah, it just it doesn't do it for me. But but but, but Yoda had that the soft thing. Yes. Luke, the Jedi Luke had a soft, and by the time they got Empire, uh, the the Bespin Luke, he had a lightsaber you fit in his hand. Yeah. Um, you know, which again, I'd be okay with that, but I just like the idea of that style. Oh my! You have changed my life yet again, Michael Cohen, Idea <laughs> Man. Oh, that's amazing! I love. Well, it. Well, you know, if I if I could sculpt, I might try and realize some of these things for myself. But it's not really a skill set I have yet. I hear you. I hear well, you. I might go down that road. Uh, snippet. Um, <laughs> are you a Doctor Who guy? Uh, safe place to geek out, so we probably don't want to go down that road. Okay. I really like. Chris, Christopher Eccleston, mm-hmm, I like that first mm-hmm. season. Um, I like the second season with with David Tennant mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, Billy Piper mm-hmm. with with uh, Tennant Rose. Um, after that, you start to lose me a little bit, okay. and I'm not a fan of recent stuff. It okay. just just doesn't get me. All right. uh, All right. It do- doesn't doesn't capture me. And and uh, I will be honest and say that I I don't know that I've given it a fair shake yet, but mm-hmm. I just Matt Smith doesn't really I, the the tone and sort of. 
I almost feel like they started to pander with the last couple of seasons. Um, just in, in sort of the way that things started to look and feel, it mm-hmm. felt like they were like, oh, we have this huge American audience now. We'll just start turning science fiction into adventure. And it's like, that's not, that's, a, there are other things that do sci-fi yeah. adventure crossover sort of things. I, like Doctor Who needs to be science fiction. I really thought this last season did a great job of acknowledging we're headed toward a big anniversary. And yeah. they start to bring in some of the older stuff here and there, um, especially in the season finale uh, mm. of this last season. And um, and then there was the whole reveal of uh, John Hurt. Um, yeah. At, at the end, and so and now we know that Matt Smith is going to be stepping out of that role pretty soon, and the new Doctor uh, coming on. Some guy I'm not really familiar with. I was just wondering if you were into the Doctor Who and what you thought of the new Doctor and everything. No, I mean the new Doctor, and this is the thing: is that every time you regenerate, you have an opportunity to to pull in <clears throat> previous fans who may have felt fallen off, or or uh, people who didn't. I mean, I I think one thing that Matt Smith definitely did, and David Tennant to a certain degree as well, is they definitely brought in a different quadrant of the demographic mm-hmm. um and i'll point specifically at the female quadrant like like those guys are dreamy and they they made doctor who something that they i uh, uh, let's say just a, a hypothetical boyfriend and girlfriend could sit down together and enjoy for different reasons right um hypothetical <laughs> yeah that, i just i don't want to generalize and i don't want to sure. peg people in any way right so so just these hypothetical demographics that that matter to to networks and that sort of thing like it just sort of it, it, it those those actors brought in new new fans and, and brought back old fans that didn't like certain things about Eccleston mm-hmm. that I disagree with but um, but you get you you have that opportunity with that character to say like well we're gonna regenerate him and he's gonna be different but the same mm-hmm. and you you take that opportunity with this new guy to make him white Mm-hmm. old british and and that's that's pretty much it like that's what we know so far because right. we don't really know what his character will be like yeah um but to me it's a it's i understand that they because of the the anniversary and everything that they want to go back to roots and that sort of thing they're trying to go back to sort of original doctor sort of sort of uh feeling uh uh, with with this new guy, but I feel like you're really, really missing an opportunity to to show what Doctor Who can be in the year 2013 and how we've come so far as a society from the original series and 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 Doctor Who and uh, especially Torchwood have always kind of been on that bleeding edge of like what's what is our society and what kind of people make up society and when you're looking at sci-fi and alien cultures and that sort of thing the 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 idea of normalcy just goes right out the window mm-hmm, so i mean mm-hmm. i really would have liked it to be a woman and i would really would have liked them to finally be a ginger because i know that that's one of the doctors <laughs> you know that's one of his dreams right right, um, right. I, I just would have liked for them to have grappled with the idea that that this character who is traditionally male it's it's irrelevant to the character mm-hmm. right although changing that gender could lead to some really fun stories yeah. and some really interesting stories and 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 a perspective change that that could help some people realize some things about 
about the society that we live in nowadays and the way that they that we need to evolve with the times you know um i i think that that definitely jack harkness on torchwood definitely did that for for a certain segment of the population and uh and and doctor who should be doing the same thing but i don't know i i i'm also told that i'm wrong in that aspect mm-hmm. and they they you know that that's not what Doctor Who is. Yeah. And, well, see, and, I'm not I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but I'm going to tell you I yeah. disagree with you because the one thing that I've always liked, well, it captured me about midway through the Eccleston season, is when he it was the creepy episode with the gas mask children. Yeah, um, are you my mommy stuff? And and as that and as that whole adventure is coming to a close, he gets like just super excited because everyone gets to live on this yeah. one day. Everyone gets to live. And, and the thing that has always impressed me, and Matt Smith really brought it back around too, is just the impressiveness of humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that this doctor who has seen, you know, through time and space, wonders that will blow your mind, always comes back to these people. Yeah. And he's always blown away by these humans and these people. And, I, and that's more than anything what I think the doctor is about. And... Um, <clears throat> And the adventure side of it, I don't think they really overdid the adventure stuff with with the Matt Smith. I think if they, I think what they overdid was the storytelling. I think that Richard Moffat got too much in his head and and tried to tell you know, especially in the first couple of seasons there with Matt Smith, the, you know, the astronaut and everything, the mysterious astronaut. Um, I think that he really tried to thread too much together rather than yeah. letting things, nat- you know, the the way they would kind of have little things here and there throughout the season. He would. He was much more blatant about the threading together of a storyline, and it caused you not to have too many great aha moments in the season finales of things. But having said that, it took a while for Matt Smith to win me over, but he finally did. Mm. And uh, and I've really enjoyed what he's done with the Doctor and and this season finale where you find out there's a whole persona that doesn't go by the Doctor. That doesn't go, but that he actually apparently uses his real Gallifreyan name or something um, that we'll be privy to hopefully soon with John Hurt. I, I think is just, I think it's really interesting. It's really intriguing, and it's and it's a direction that I that they've not gone before. And so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. As far as this new guy stepping in, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion about that one way or the other. We'll see. My thing is, we'll see when we see. So. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I'll roll with that. But, you know, we didn't come to talk about Doctor Who. We really, even though we've spent so much time talking about it, didn't come to talk about Star Wars. What we really <laughs> want to talk about on this episode is something you've been wanting to talk about for a while, at least a year now. Yes. And, and that is, um, well, we'll start with John Carter, and, and then we'll get into some other things that I kind of want to pick your brain about. Because you you are a bigger Disney fan than I am, I think, as far yeah, as just Yeah, Dis- Disnerd, that's what we're called. Dis- is, that, is that the we're term for Disnerd? Disnerd, Um, but last year Derek and I we actually got to be together. We watched John Carter. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I thought it was a fun Mm. movie. I thought it was good. Um, Disney apparently spent more money than what uh, what Brian Singer spent on Superman Returns, though, to make John Carter to bring it to the people in 3D. And for whatever reason, they refused to call it John Carter of Mars. Yeah. And uh, and and so there was it ended up falling flat, I think, falling a little short with audiences, and um and you take exception to that, and yes. uh, and you take obsession and you take some exception to some of the criticisms people have leveled at it, 
And so we're going to, uh, listen, last episode we visited a show that was, what, three years since it's been canceled? <laughs> um, so to visit a movie that's, you know, uh, been out a year or more, nothing new for this show. Good Lord, most of the time it's 80s talk. So just <laughs> strap in, let's talk some John Carter. Michael, I'm going to give you the floor uh, with this question. What was so good about that movie? I, you know, I, going into John Carter, I, I definitely, there was a ramp up to it. I, that, yeah, you can talk to Crystal, you can ask her, I, cause she remembers it vividly. Um, we, we've been going to the movies and, and I kept seeing these posters for John Carter, these big white ape things and, and, uh, this character. And I, I just had this, this sort of picking in the back of my mind going like, you know that you know John Carter. You know it. Like it's it's. You don't know where you know it from, but it's just it's a part of the fabric of something, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's important. It, it's important, and you need to see it. You need to see this it opening weekend. Um, <laughs> you were sculpting but, mashed potatoes. You were <laughs> yeah yeah no. It was it was like the force was trying to tell me something, mm-hmm. right? Like I was just I was being compelled towards it. And uh, and so I went into it with with high hopes, but I don't know that I necessarily had high expectations, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is a good way to go into a movie, because uh, I didn't really know what I was going to get. And uh, uh, the movie starts, and the movie gets going, and uh, um, and you go through the whole adventure, and the the credits came up, and everything was finished, and I turned to Crystal, and I was like, that was that was another star Wars for me. Like what I just experienced in this theater is the way that I feel about star Wars and ghostbusters and Ninja turtles and Superman. And this is a character that that's important. And there's a, there's a reason why. And I, before we'd left the theater, I was already on my phone on Wikipedia reading stuff. And I was like, 1912, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, same guy who wrote Tarzan, mm-hmm. um, more well known for writing Tarzan, even though this character of John Carter, uh, 101 years old this year, is the, um, he, he is the, the thread that the fabric of modern sci-fi fantasy is made out of. Mm-hmm. This character, and I would, I, I, I am always reluctant to say without this character, we wouldn't have whatever, but because something else would have just filled that vacuum, right? Uh, you take one thing away, and 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 something else would have would have popped up sooner or later. But John Carter is the thing that exists that we can point back to as this uh, as the seed that the tree grows out of, and uh, and and it, it it just it creates the idea that you can have science fiction and fantasy hand in hand and one strengthens the other and vice versa. Like it's just this amazing combination that previous to then didn't really exist. You had science fiction and stuff like, uh, I, um, the time machine and, yeah. and, and previous writings and stuff like that. Famous literature. HG Wells, uh, Jules Verne are the, two yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you had this great science fiction that existed and they they were asking questions about humanity and and doing the things that science fiction is supposed to do, which is to use reality as a grounding point, as as sort of the foundation 
and then to start asking these lofty questions about what it means to be a human being and what it means to exist and, and what is life for and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you've got this other side of things because we, you know, fantasy goes back as far as we can remember because it's how we, how we deal with things that we don't understand until we have science to understand them, right? So uh, there's this this thing that ties them together, um, and and Edgar Rice Burroughs understood that, and he had been reading just terrible, terrible science fiction in, in all of these different science fiction magazines. <laughs> that you could get like these anthology magazines right. that you would get and and he was out of a job and he didn't have anything to like he he didn't know what he was going to do with his life and he he just picked up one of these magazines read it and he was like this is such terrible terrible stuff <laughs> surely i can do this surely right? i can do better than this not even better his idea was like i can do this and it's going to pay the bills hmm. right he turned to it as a last resort and uh, and and he wrote a princess of Mars, uh, or I believe the first originally it was called under the under the moons of Mars, was the original title, um, and uh, and he he published the, the, they this magazine published the first story in 1912 in February of 1912, and uh, people read it and they immediately started writing letters into the magazine saying, this is incredible, this is this is the most amazing thing. And they were just, they were hooked. And the reason why is because... How about early 1900s geekdom right there? Yeah, well, that's exactly it, right? Like, he, I, I really feel like he was one of the first people to understand what, what triggers geekdom. Mm -hmm. And that is world building. That's yeah. the thing, right? And he, it, you read that first, that first chapter, which is the first installment of, of A Princess of Mars, uh, which is the first book in the Barsoom series... And and you understand that that Edgar Rice Burroughs has this amazing ability to give you exposition, but to make you feel like it's natural. It's a conversation. It's not it's not just somebody talking at you, which is what I think a lot of movies and stories do nowadays, where they just start throwing exposition at you. But when you look at some of the great pieces of of, of genre uh, out there, whether it's comics movies, video games, whatever, the way that they do it is they just, they envelop you in the exposition. Mm -hmm. Star Wars doesn't bother to give handle you with kid gloves. It starts with a boom mm -hmm. in the music and that scroll comes up and it's like, here's what you need to know. Like, this is going to be if important you're, if in you're five just, seconds. If you're just joining us, it yeah. is a period of civil war. Rebels have struck their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. They don't tell you anything about the evil Galactic Empire other than it's evil and it's galactic. Yeah. And they're this rebels. Is, these, are, these are the cliff notes. This is what you need to know. And now all of a sudden there's a space battle happening. Which one's the good guy? Which one's the bad guy? Let's figure it out as we go, right? right. And John Carter... <laughs> the story of, of the character John Carter does that in in such an expert, masterful way. Uh, it's written as a series of, of, of letters, essentially, um, from the point of view of John Carter, which is amazing because what it does is he's telling, he's speaking in the narrative, but in a past tense. So every once in a while, about every three or four pages, he'll come up on something new. And, and so he'll be talking about the 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 tharks and instead of 
you being like having it explained to you as like, and then I saw the Tharks and they appeared to me as blah, blah, blah. He goes, and then I was captured by the Tharks who, by the way, are these, you know, seven foot tall green men with six arms and tusks. Uh, here's the really interesting thing about them though. Their society is built on blah, blah, blah. And he starts going off on things that you shouldn't know yet. Right. Right. Because they're not important to the story at that point but they are so important to the world. Mm -hmm. And so now rather than just like, oh, I have a description, like I would say in, in a Lord of the Rings, right? In, in, in something, oh, something like that. Now, where listen, you just, you love... just start to get these descriptions ad nauseum that mm -hmm. stop the story. What, what this does is narratively it's built so that he can go, let me explain to you why this is important. And then he explains it to you. And then he goes back and he goes, and then the character said this to me. And um, it's amazing because the first, the first, I would say, two thirds of the book, John Carter doesn't know how to speak the language. Mm -hmm. He he can't co properly communicate. There's bits and bites here and there, but he's slowly learning the language, and therefore there is no dialogue in the first third of the book. It's just his inner monologue and him going like, and then they talk to me. And what I would later find out is a language and what they meant was this. And the reason why I didn't understand them was because of this. So sociologically, you understand the world that you're in and you understand the history of it. But you don't need subtitles, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, that, that's stuff that you have to grapple with when you make a movie. So obviously, they changed a lot of that stuff. Right. But in the book, in the original story, it's just it's it's this exercise in world building, in creating an escapism that I don't think existed before that. Yeah. I, I think that people had sort of, they told uh, uh, stories and there was oral tradition of, of you know, uh, mythology and legend and that sort of thing, but they were always grounded in the world that you lived in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Edgar Rice Burroughs went, yeah, but what if you didn't live in that world? What right. if you went to another world and you were experiencing their mythology and their history all at the same time for the first time? Well, and it's... And and it's a and, thing where he could do that with this mindset. We don't know what's on Mars. Yeah, you know, there could be. Well, I mean, it, it, there are there are points of it because the 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 movie starts very similarly to the way that the book opens. Uh, but it's uh, Tars Tarkas is the one giving us the explanation of. Mm -hmm. Mars, uh, he said Barsoom, or as you call it, Mars, and you know you think that you know it, but you don't know mm. Barsoom, and and. He, it's, you think it's a dead planet, but it's not. It it has life. It was once lush and amazing, and um, it's it's incredible to live in 2013 and to to be as engrossed into these characters as I am, because now we're discovering that Mars may have once been a lush planet full of vegetation and life. <laughs> like we're starting to find out that at one point in time. It could have, it could been, have been a been planet sure. full of all this other stuff. Um, we, we don't know. It's inconclusive. Mm -hmm. We think we've found water. We think we've found microbial life. We think we've found evidence of plant life in soil. We won't know until we get there as people, right? We send robots and they can give us a good idea. But this idea, like the book opens with, with sort of the narrative of how he gets there. And then once he gets there, it's like, you know, you think that, we thought that Mars had nothing on it, but I can tell you for a fact that we were wrong. 
that you get there and it's covered in this yellow moss vegetation that uh, it contains more water than a cactus. And uh, that's how, even though there's no water on Mars, except for these very small bodies that are imperceptible to, to, to our current technology in 1912, you know, like he, he explains how the ecosystem works and you like, it's just, it's so believable. And, uh, and that created, I think of what what's become a movement mm-hmm. in storytelling of of world building and and those stories that we fall in love with are the ones that do that like Star Wars um like even even uh, Man of Steel did it this summer it, it really created a world for for Krypton to inhabit mm-hmm. uh, yep. they they changed the way that I feel about Jor-El and Krypton um, it, it reinforces certain things about about past stories, but it, for the first time, it's visceral. It, it yeah, exists, yeah. right? Um, I mean, I think I think standout movie of the summer. We've been we've kind of talked about it previous to recording. Uh, Pacific Rim. Yes. It in that first ten minutes creates a world for you to exist in. Everything you need to know is there. You guys talked about it a little bit on the last episode. You watched it with a ten-year-old who walked out of that movie with catchphrases and and uh, code words and, yes, and you yeah. know like the thunderstorm, thundercloud formation, thundercloud and, formation, yep, uh, stuff like that. They they you know you, you listen to that and you hear like a ten-year-old walks out of that movie and you flash back to like well when I was ten I was walking out of this movie. And I was exactly the same. And you think about those movies and, and how they've informed the, the person that you are. Uh, and you go, where does this all come from? And it all comes from John Carter. It all mm-hmm. comes from these stories. So the movie itself was uh, the tip of the iceberg for me. And I think that that's why it became so important. I walked out of it with a thirst for more of it to discover that there, that it already exists. I don't it, have to wait. Right. I walked out of uh, uh, Pacific Rim this year with the same feeling, only to be not disappointed, but just like... <laughs> Please don't I, tell like, me. I'm ravenous for content. If you release something to do with Pacific Rim, I will buy it. I will yeah. buy it today. Please don't, I will please spend don't tell every me. penny that I have. You weren't, you weren't like those Avatar people that were like, I want to kill myself because Pandora doesn't really exist. <laughs> I, I didn't need to be like that because I, I, I walked out of it and was like, they, these books, there's 11 books in this series. Yeah, and you've and, since read them. Uh, I haven't read all of them. Okay. I'm, I'm working my way through them. I'm on the third book. Okay. Um, but because I'm, I'm a slow reader mm-hmm. and I read in, in fits and spurts and that sort of thing. Um, and I have so many other things that I'm behind on. Oh, I tell you, it's not even funny. But I... It just to be able to walk out of a movie and go, I need to create a fandom for this to find out that it already exists mm-hmm. because it's a hundred years old and it's like, guess what? You've always been a part of this fandom. Mm-hmm. You just didn't know it yeah. because the thing that is your biggest fandom only exists as a byproduct of this. Like, Star Wars is firmly and solidly built on the foundation of John Carter. Mm-hmm. And then the the number two fandom that I have, uh, the reason why we are friends, right. it, it's Superman. funny because Star Wars isn't the reason, but the reason why we're friends, <clears throat> Superman, mm-hmm. Superman is literally a nod 
to the character of John Carter. Yeah. I mean, his yeah. power set starts with the same power set that John Carter does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Siegel and Schuster borrowed from that story the idea that Earth's gravity is different from Krypton's means that his physiology is different and he can leap tall buildings in a single bound and he has incredible strength. Yeah, yeah. Because he he's supposed to be from this other planet, which... John Carter gets to Mars and because the the gravity is different he finds out that his anatomy is different and he can do things that other people can't and that's what makes him a hero it I mean John Carter was a hero before that he was a hero of the Civil War and um um an interesting character because he was multi-layered and although he was a he was a fighting man by trade he was also a a, a lover and a, and and sort of has this poetic soul that, that I think he shares with Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, that, you know, like he sort of, Edgar Rice Burroughs sort of infused himself into a hero. And, and that's where that character is so amazing. And one, and then you, you start to read the books and then you go back to the movie and you watch the movie and you see why Andrew Stanton is in love with the character and you see why he puts all of these things into it. And then you start to see that Taylor Kitsch is, perfect for it because you go I really love John Carter so I'm gonna I now need to see everything that he's in and so you you look up Friday Night Lights and you start watching Friday Night Lights (laughs) and you discover this amazing character yes Jim Riggins of Mars Uh, so I mean I I I call Friday Night Lights John Carter plays football. Well, yeah. Well, me and Derek, you know, Derek gave me Tim Riggins yeah. of Mars, and so. yeah, Tim Riggins on or Tim, Tim Riggins of Mars, right? So, I mean, like, it's just this amazing. It was just it was a rabbit hole of spider webs that yeah. I just yeah. I kept on falling well, down and following these threads, and it just it kept going and kept going and kept going, and within a month or two, I found myself just completely immersed in yeah. in in a fandom that well, just felt like second nature and i and i at last understood why i had to go see it mm-hmm. and i understood why i had this connection to the character and i cracked open old boxes of comics and started rifling through them and and lo and behold warlord of mars uh, the original marvel comics also from the era of star wars mm-hmm. uh, from the from the marvel star wars stuff um, all, all together. Uh, it's, it's, it's all a part of that same yeah. fabric. Well, let me ask and, you this. And I know it, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Having now immersed yourself, cause I've not, I've not gone back to revisit yeah. any of these, any of these novels, any of these, uh, stories put together. Uh, you know, I've watched the movie and I, and it's been on TV some. And, and so I've since watched it again. Um, but I, I didn't have that draw. I didn't think it was a bad movie. Yeah. Um, I, has that changed your perception just strictly of the film having, having gotten into now, you know, three, two and a half, three books deep, uh, has that changed your perception of the movie? Um, it has, uh, but, uh, you know, you know how fandom works. Mm-hmm. I mean, now that I have this perspective and now that I'm, I, I, I've, I have a dog in the fight, right? Mm-hmm. So now I, I'm, I'm going to back John Carter <laughs> to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Um, so, but knowing that, I mean, I definitely, uh, I, I have the perspective to understand why things don't work. Mm-hmm. I have the perspective to understand why choices were made. Mm-hmm. Um, I now know why the people who love John Carter are upset at mm-hmm. the movie. I also understand just from a filmmaking point, 
I think why why people walk out of that movie feeling like they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're wrong. I think that if they could open themselves up and and try and experience it as its own thing, that they would feel differently. The biggest criticism that's always leveled at it is that it feels derivative. Is that it feels like it's just <laughs> copying Star Wars and Avatar. It's like I mean, one person said to me uh, a couple weeks after, and you know, I, they they'd seen that I posted something on Facebook. And uh, uh, someone from church, and they we were, we were talking about movies, which I don't get to do at church very often, so I'm always thankful when I do. And he's like, "So I saw John Carter, we took the whole family to it, and uh, you know, it was all right, but it just just felt like it was ripping off Star Wars and Avatar and blah blah blah." And I was like, "Oh, my friend, little do you know." Let me learn you something real quick. <laughs> Let me learn uh, you something because I, I channeling channeling my my southern friends. I, and I said, "Listen, Southern does not mean bad grammar. Go ahead." <laughs> no, but it does mean colloquialism. There you go. Uh, I think I don't think that it's bad grammar. I just think that it's the fluidity of language. Hey, let um, me let me learn you something. Yeah, I and I said, "You need to understand that those things don't exist without John Carter. The John Carter is not derivative of those things. Those things are derivative of John Carter." It just took this long for them to finally make a movie <laughs> right. because it, everything had to be in place and we had to be able to tell the story properly. Um, I still don't think that we're there because I think the technology needs to get a little bit better. I think that CG has to come a little bit further, not because CG is not there for the movie. It's definitely there for a movie. It needs to be there for a TV series. It mm. needs to be there for a miniseries. Um, television's moving in the direction that it needs to move in for things like Star Wars, the television series, the live-action mm-hmm. television series to become a reality, and for things like John Carter to be a miniseries on HBO. Game well, of Thrones is making great strides in that direction. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, see, that's what I was going to say. When you're dealing with an 11-book series, yeah. you're dealing with a show that could... You're dealing with a, with a property that could be a TV show. You're talking about 11 seasons mm-hmm. of 13 episodes... Mm-hmm per season mm-hmm. and uh, and you're talking about mature content I think because those books were not written for children they weren't written for a Disney audience they were written for an adult audience mm-hmm. I, I just to just to be for the sake of history and you know just to be very factual about it the 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 people of Mars live on a planet that's arid and it's very hot and they so they don't wear a lot of clothing mm-hmm. that's how it was written that's part of the fantasy side of it. It's no different than if you crack open an old Conan the Barbarian comic um, and, and you see that there are a lot of very scantily clad women in those. But the men are equally scantily clad. It's just, it's okay, apparently, for that to happen. Um, well, I think, I think that the movie did an all right job of, you know, of, of showing that type yes. of uh, culture without going gratuitous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, and... Um, that that's where that's where the movie sort of starts to come into things is mm-hmm. that the movie is an adaptation right and i think that people oftentimes look at source material and a final product like a film and they they get upset mm-hmm. because it's not the same thing um i think i've always said i enjoy the harry potter movies but i think where they fail is that they're not adaptations they're translations and a translation is taking something from one form and just translating it into another form. Right. Which is why you sit and you watch a Harry Potter movie and you're like, 
I don't understand what they're talking about sometimes. And then you turn to the person who read the books and they go, well, if you read the books, right. then you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I didn't read the books. I watched the movie, you know, um, there are, there are other examples uh, like game of Thrones that are game of Thrones is a translation, but game of Thrones is a translation by way of adaptation. So they change what they have to change in order for it to fit the story mm -hmm. and to suit the audience because they know that not everybody's reading the books, but the, the, the series enhances the books and vice versa. Like they, they, they go hand in hand. And although there's continuity differences, there's also enough similarity that that you can go, okay, well now I know that that character was doing this while this character was doing that, mm -hmm. and and it's the same for the book as it is for the series. Um, but when you move something from from a long format like a novel, even novellas, because that's really what what the John Carter stories right, are. They're right. they're only a couple hundred pages each. Um, you try and move them into a film you end up with the problem that you have with the Lord of the Rings movies where you either make them way too long in an extended edition or mm -hmm. you miss stuff yeah. in, in a regular version that's even then still too long. So right. you get John Carter, which has... <laughs> Listen, I got to stop you real quick because, yeah. because that's the second kind of backhanded, not really backhanded, but straight up jab you've taken at Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. Have you got a problem with the Lord no. of the Rings? <laughs> No, I love the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, I love them as stories, but I think that they, they, I'm not a fan of the books because I'm not a fan of the way that they're written. I, right. I find them really long-winded. They are. Uh, they can be very yeah, and tedious. I, that's, not, that's not a criticism. That's just the style, mm -hmm. right? Like they're, They are intentionally long-winded. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think that Peter Jackson's interpretation is equally long-winded, and yeah. I think that... You know, I, I'm with Shakespeare in that brevity is the soul of wit. Um, and I think, like, when I, if I have to compare Edgar Rice Burroughs and J.R.R. Tolkien, what I would say is that one understands what Shakespeare was saying and the other one doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien is very scientific, Burroughs is very poetic. Mm -hmm. So uh, he uses analogy. And, and I mean, he has the, he, he's afforded himself that luxury by having a, a character from Earth that was a contemporary of the time. Now we need to look at it in a historical context. But at the time, this was a person who had as much knowledge as any other educated person in right, 1912. Right. So his his analogies were very apt. And, and so when he explained the conflict between the different Martian tribes, like the different, the Tharks and, and, the, and the Warhoon and all that, he was using analogies like the Civil War which were very relevant to, to the people of the time. So he could, he could be brief, but Tolkien didn't do that. Tolkien uh, went from a completely other uh, viewpoint, which was that this is a world and I need to explain everything about the world because it doesn't exist and it's not real. Um, so, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies tend to do something very similar. Uh, I think that The Hobbit does a better job than the Lord of the Rings movies do. I think mm -hmm. that with every one of them, he sort of learned how to tone those things down. Um, but even still, The Hobbit being two movies long, I mean, is it two or three movies? It's three movies long. It's going to be three movies. Yeah. I mean, that just, that right there tells you everything you need to know. He took one book that could have been one. He took, eh, 
it could have been two movies. Well, he but, took one book and the appendices from the yes. Lord of the Rings, and yeah. and it's tried. That's been my criticism of it is is rather than just do the straight up Hobbit Bilbo Baggins story, he's trying to squish all this other stuff in there yeah. that, quite frankly, I think for a movie doesn't need to be. Like I say, translation versus adaptation, mm-hmm. right? There's an adaptation of the of the Hobbit that I quite like, and that's the animated Hobbit movie, oh, wow. right? Like that. That's an adaptation. It mm-hmm. definitely cuts a lot of stuff out. It definitely reinterprets a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But does it tell the story? Yes, it does. It tells the exact same story, right? And that's where that's where John Carter and Andrew Stanton. I mean, Andrew Stanton took essentially the first two books of of the Barsoom series, and and I think what he did, and what we'll we'll sort of unless you get to sit down and talk to the guy. What we'll never get to know is, I think that he took all eleven books and he broke them down into three acts. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what someone who trilogy. that's what so. one of Derek's friends that we went to see it kind of said. He said, "Well, this seems like he took it from here and here and here, and like he just went boom, 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 and yeah. and kind of he talked like that he felt like he'd taken in several different things from all across the eleven stories, yes. not just those yeah. first two. Yeah, as you as you get deeper into the series, you start to see like, oh. He's laying the groundwork for this. He's borrowing this. I mean, uh, the heaviest influence is those first two books, though. Mm-hmm. Just because narratively, you're right. going to tell those first two stories chronologically, mm-hmm. right? Um, so he he really took the series and started to adapt it into a series of three films. Um, and that's where you start to get the discrepancies and things start to change. And then he goes, well, they're movies. I need to take into account that it's a movie audience. I'm making a movie for Disney, so I have to do certain things there. There's certain, you know, you have to you have to make changes right. in order to fall in line with a Disney type of movie. So, you know, definitely costuming starts to change. Um, history starts to change a little bit. The the <laughs> The blood becomes blue because that makes it okay for us to be incredibly ridiculously gory and to still make it a PG movie, Mm -hmm. which I think is just like, just total genius. Cause if you rip the guts out of a blue blooded, uh, white ape, it's okay. If that was red, that would have been an R. There'd be some problems. Yeah. Yeah. But it's alien. So it's like you, it's the men in black rule, right? Right. Right. You blow people up, but it's okay because they were aliens and they just turned into blue goo and we're fine. I mean, at one point in that film, John Carter is literally covered in the guts and viscera of a, a, a giant beast. That's true. Head to toe, but it's blue, so we look at it and, you know, it's okay. He's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. fine. It's just part of the story. Um, so, you know, you start to adapt stuff like that. You get the magic juice that allows him to understand the language overnight. Mm-hmm. Because you have to, right. because it's a movie, and we don't have. I mean, he'd he would have spent. There would have had to have been a montage of of several months, because the the book takes place over the course of almost a year. Um, uh, it may even be multiple years. Um, if I because I I read it over a year ago, right. so I'm not calling. But um, it takes place over a substantial amount of time in which. John Carter and Dejah Thoris have time to get to know each other. He gets to know Tars Tarkas, who isn't the leader of all of the Tharks, but just he's sort of a chieftain of the Tharks and right. becomes the leader over the course of the story. Um, and he learns the language and he learns the culture. And we kind of learn it along with him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as he becomes privy to things, we become privy to things, except the things that we need to know beforehand. 
which it just, it's uh, I go back to it, but it's just great the way that he writes it because every once in a while he'll break the story and go. Now, before I continue, you need to understand that the Tharks don't think of things the way that we think of things. They are a warlike people, and it's it, it and it's an analogy for uh, at the time the 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 uh, Native Americans uh, and and the the settlers. I mean, they were still in the process of really settling right. North America at the time. So it's it, it's really it's an analogy for that. Um, it's an analogy for people who uh, the, the term is going native um, and that idea of, you know, you're taken captive by these people and you find out that they're actually not so bad. Um, they're, they're human beings just like the rest of us. Um, it's, this, it's this great analogy for all that stuff um, that he's telling through a story. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff, once you start to understand those things, you watch the movie and you see that that's all in there. Yeah. It's all in the movie. I mean... There's a moment in the movie where Brian Cranston's character goes, "Oh, you've gone native, have you?" And then you know John Carter has his reaction to that. But like there, you see that Andrew Stanton knows, understands, and loves the property as much as any fan. Right, right. What he's doing is the absolute best that he can, given the circumstances that he's under, which is working for Disney, making a live-action film, and trying to adapt eleven books into. A trilogy because that's what he feels he's he's going to be able to accomplish um so when you start to take these things into account you go that's why the movie is the movie that it is mm-hmm. uh that's why it, it's it's it feels like it doesn't have an ending <laughs> because it doesn't have an ending and uh it, it feels like you're missing a lot of information because you are missing a lot of information mm-hmm. because it'll all be <clears throat> revealed as it needs to be revealed well now let me uh, let me ask you this, just to kind of shift shift gears a little bit, um, because I'll be honest with you, you're into John Carter, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, uh, this was not considered a box office success for Disney, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're not going to get those other two films. No, we're not. Okay. Um, this kind of this kind of is leading me to spin off onto something else I want to talk about, and and it doesn't really go so much with with anything to do with Star Wars because because of the way that Lucasfilm is going to be operating under the Disney uh, corporate banner, um, because you can look over at Marvel and see that they're doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, Disney traditionally, when they try to do things in house like this, traditionally it seems like they don't end up quite as successfully as they'd like them to. Um, I, I'm thinking as far back as the black hole, yeah, uh, which which was a uh, which was a property in the late '70s, early '80s that Disney did. That you know, I remember the iconography from. I remember the floating robots. I can't really remember their names. One was really beat up. The other, not so much. Um, I remember the bad guys. I remember the big scene from that is they're running across a bridge, while basically a fiery comet is coming right at them as they have to get across to avoid it. Um, they being the heroes of the story. Uh, Disney's Black Hole, Tron, when it originally came out, mm-hmm. merchandising-wise, um, I remember being a big deal, especially as far as arcade games and that sort of thing goes. But from a movie standpoint, never really hit. Um, then you flash forward a little bit in time. And... Uh, and Quite frankly, and this is what I said to you beforehand, 
it seems like any property that Disney has tried to do under the Disney banner, yeah, with the exception of Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, where they're trying to gear it less toward a child slash girl audience, they've never really been able to make stick. As good as Tron Legacy was, yeah. um, and as good as Tron Uprising was on, on Disney yeah. XD, for whatever reasons, is are their standards too high? Are they pouring too much money into something just expecting it to be this amazing thing? Um, I'm not. Lone Ranger has really been mixed. I've not gotten to see it, but a lot of people have really been. The biggest and, the, and probably the harshest criticism I've seen of Lone Ranger is it's Captain Jack Sparrow with a bird on his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate because Army Hammer's a good actor, and the Lone Ranger story in and of itself is a great story. You yeah. know that is that is something absolutely, and and it's and it's something that is quite frankly, at least in the Americas that I know in the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. of A, the Lone Ranger is is kind of iconic. Yeah, as far as being someone that you know, this is something you don't want to screw up, and um and it just seems like that for whatever reason, Disney as a film studio. They got the princess angle down, but other than that, it seems like they struggle. What's up with that, Michael Cohen? Well, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Uh, and I, and I think there there's there's a very specific factor that goes into John Carter. There's actually an entire book that's been written about mm-hmm. it um, called John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood, <laughs> and uh, it it goes into detail. Um, it's really technical, and it's it's kind of conspiratorial uh, sounding but when you start to break it down it actually makes a lot of sense um, John Carter and the Avengers were both in development at the same time John mm-hmm. Carter had a little bit more lead time because because they John Carter originally started it started with Andrew Stanley he wanted to make it he was with Pixar um, he was gonna make a, a John Carter movie no matter what you know like he against the odds he was gonna do it right I, other studios had had the rights previous. It had always been this really difficult thing, this nut that nobody could crack. Uh, but Andrew Stanton, being the hardcore fan of of John Carter and Star Wars and everything else that's come since, um, and all like just that idea of science fiction fantasy was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the one who does it. So he was really dedicated to it. It started as a as a, just as the story. And they weren't sure, is Pixar going to do it? Is Disney Animation going to do it? Is it going to be a live-action film? They didn't know. Um, they started breaking the story and, and, and putting it together and doing their pre-production stuff. And, and Disney was completely behind it because Stanton had done things like he, he was one of the writers on Toy Story. Uh, he directed WALL-E, Finding Nemo. I mean, he'd been a cash cow for them. So they were kind of like, you do whatever you need to do. Uh, were, were behind you and he started developing the the books in, into a film um, they decided okay we'll do this as an animated film so there was a there was a teaser that came out um, I, now I try and place it and and I don't really remember when I saw it because this is sort of like it, it came out at a comic-con or a, or a Disney event or something like that and it was the the tattoos that ended up being all over the uh, the the red people the the red people of Barsoom, um, it was sort of like they were kind of animating across the screen and it was traditionally animated like it wasn't mm. computer it wasn't uh, sort of motion graphics it looked very much like traditionally animated it kind of reminded me of um, 
of uh, of Atlantis, of yeah. the Disney movie Atlantis. And that was sort of the first time that people got official confirmation that, yes, Disney's making this John Carter movie. And it was called John Carter of Mars, and people were getting excited about it, and it did exactly what a hype machine's supposed to do, and people wanted to know more. And then Disney went completely dark on it. And then all of a sudden it came out a, a year or so later that, okay, this was going to be an animated movie, now it's going to be a live-action movie. Um, and Andrew Stanton's directing it, and we're gearing up, we're looking for stars, we're looking to figure out how we're going to film it, all that stuff. And then it goes into production, and again, it goes completely radio silent. And people are just like, would you please tell us what's going on? And uh, during production, during filming and everything, uh, meanwhile, everything is happening with Marvel and Disney. And, uh, and, and Disney's kind of going like, okay, everything that we had in, in the wings, John Carter, uh, the Lone Ranger... Uh, uh, Tron, all of that stuff. It, this might be completely unnecessary because we're going to buy Marvel, and they buy Marvel, and all of that happens. Tron was a casualty of it. Um, they the the previous years they had been pushing Tron like nobody's business yes, at, at, yeah. at Comic Con, and then all of a sudden it was like Disney just decided that they did not care about Tron. Um, and it just kind of started to disappear, and and uh, and and the same thing was happening with John Carter, and and other properties that they were developing that they dropped, um, and uh, and I mean Andrew Stanton's been really political about it because he's still working with Disney, and mm-hmm. I understand that. I think if you got the real dirt from him, he would tell you that they just completely 180 on their attitude because they were trying to go for the boys market and then they buy Marvel. And then I think, I think around the time that John Carter was getting ready to release, uh, they were getting into the marketing and everything that George Lucas had called them up and said, I need to talk to you guys about something. It's kind of a big deal. Um, Hey, you want to buy Lucasfilm? Sorry. It's like, Hey, uh, Hey, um, this is George Lucas. Just wondering if you want to buy Lucasfilm and Star yeah, Wars like, and like, Indiana Jones. There was a, just a, a just an attitude mm-hmm. that Disney had some other card up their sleeve, and everything that they were doing was completely irrelevant. So, uh, Tron definitely after the fact with Tron Uprising and everything that should have happened with Tron post Legacy, um, they they just dropped everything. Yeah. Um, and you can see that. You can see that Tron Legacy was a great show that definitely needed more support than it got. Um, it definitely needed toys. It definitely needed uh, Happy Meals. It definitely needed things that... I think there might have been a Tron Legacy Happy Meal, but um, it needed more than what it got. Uh, it needed the kind of treatment that Clone Wars got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with John Carter, John Carter needed the kind of treatment that, that you know, uh, that... I think Pacific Rim got. I think Pacific Rim got great uh, uh, promotional treatment leading up to it. I mean, I was excited for that movie but, specifically because of all the trailers. But Pacific Rim didn't come with the baggage of fans. No, exactly. Of, of a previous um, a previously established thing. I, what I feel like, what I feel like with John Carter that Disney didn't do well w- was sell the right bill of goods. You know. Well. It, it becomes a, a question of whether or not they, they made a mistake or whether or not they, they intentionally 
started doing some things to sink this movie. Because uh, two years out, they had a marketing campaign, and that marketing campaign was hitting well, and the, they, they were, you know, the numbers were great, and people were, it was generating interest, and it was doing what a marketing campaign is supposed to do. A year out, they completely changed it. They started going in this other direction. They dropped of Mars. They just started mm-hmm. calling it John Carter. Uh, they stopped having it have anything to do with any other sci-fi out there, um, which are all wrong moves because mm-hmm. the audience needs to know John Carter is a is a film <clears throat> coming out in two thousand and thirteen. A hundred years on the hundred year anniversary. I mean that that movie should have released on the day, mm-hmm. the hundred year anniversary of first publication. It's silly that it didn't. It's a ridiculous missed opportunity. The fact that every time I talk to people about it, that they are finding out for the first time that it's a hundred year mm-hmm. legacy and that star Wars, George Lucas in 1976 is quoted as saying it's a flash Gordon Buck Rogers, you know, I borrow some stuff from, from Edgar Rice Burroughs and John Carter and the Barsoom things. And like, he is specifically quoted as saying that Star Wars is inspired by these things. Right, right. You know, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers themselves, both inspired by John Carter. Any mm-hmm. story where a hero goes to another planet and, you know, he's just a regular workaday guy and finds out that he's a superhero, all John Carter. <laughs> I mean, I, Booster Gold, his name is Michael John Carter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, it's it, it's so inside of our pop culture that we forget that it like we don't know how ingrained it is because it's just become a part of it. That's why I say it's the thread that is the fabric of yeah. sci-fi fantasy. So because you have to look really close in order to see it. But uh, Disney having acquired Marvel and ramping everything up and everything's going according to plan, they've got Avengers and it's tracking to be the largest film release of all time and they knew six months out this movie's gonna break a you know however many two billion dollars or whatever it did right like that that number that magic number that it hit that it beat the dark knight Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff they knew they also knew that they had uh thor coming out uh captain america and and all that stuff so i guess that was the year before what else did they have uh that all they had last year was the avengers all they had was the Avengers. They had mm-hmm. something else, though. They had something else with 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 Pixar, I think. Um, what came out with Pixar? Brave. Last, That's last what year Brave came out. Yeah. Um, they knew that Brave was going to make money because they can count on a Pixar movie making so much money. Um, that might change because Brave and then some of the stuff that they've done since then has kind of soured some people on Pixar and Disney animation. But... Um, they knew they were tracking to make this much money by the end of third quarter 2012. If they did, if those movies, if Brave and Avengers made what they thought they were going to make, mm-hmm. it was going to bump them into a tax bracket that would have cost them the amount of money that, that they stood to gain on John Carter, essentially. Like, somebody did the math. An accountant, a pencil pusher somewhere, did the math and went... Look, if we tank John Carter, if John Carter makes uh, is a loss, and we can call it a loss, and we can claim all of these things as a loss on this two hundred and fifty million dollar behemoth, 
250 million just to make the movie and then another 200 million to market it. Um, if we tank this movie and call it a loss, it'll bump us back down under that tax bracket and our profits will be higher than they would be if we made the money on John Carter that we that we wanted to make on John Carter that was intended. Right? Like if it if it makes mm. the kind of money that a movie of this quality released at this time of the year with the proper marketing and the proper blah 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 all makes, which it should have been the 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 first tent pole up of the summer, right? That March that 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 March April area mm-hmm. now is kind of reserved for. Here's the first movie of the summer. It creeps back more and more every right. year, just like Christmas creeps back right. more and more. <laughs> um, and John Carter was positioned to be that film for Disney mm-hmm. and for the the blockbuster season. And they went, no, we're going to we're going to confuse our audience. We're going to start putting out mixed messages. We're going to start telling people. You know, we're going to start comparing it to Avatar, which people have a very sour taste about now. Like that, that's more than a mistake. Yeah. You, you as a professional working for Disney, who has one of the best marketing company, marketing departments on the planet, if not like the best, I mean, they're incredible in, in getting people excited about things way, way far out. Um, if you start comparing it to Avatar, Avatar has dropped off the map at this point. I mean, like, I think that Disney talked at D23 about an Avatar land, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the next six months to a year that that becomes, you know, oh, we're starting to hear that there's trouble because now they have Star Wars, right? And, like, they they, they don't need an Avatar land. That's just ridiculous. Nobody even cares about Avatar. Okay, let me ask you something. Is is that for real? Is Avatar something yeah. that's under the Disney banner somehow? It's it in the same way that Star Wars partnered Lucasfilm partnered with Disney to bring theme park attractions to Disneyland yeah. in the eighties. James Cameron has partnered with Disney to bring Avatar theme parks to life. So, because they want it to be that quality and that immersion and blah blah blah, and you really can't make a theme park these days in Orlando without. I mean, Disney owns half of Orlando. Right. They own the part of Orlando that people go to. Um, uh, the, the, every every penny that we spent while we were there for celebration, both times, mm-hmm. was divided up, and a portion of that went to Disney <laughs> because they own all of that land sure. that the convention center and all those hotels are on. Um, so yeah, like you can't make a theme park because there's no room left in in Los Angeles like in Anaheim or LA or anywhere near there. You have to go to San Diego and that's pretty much all gone because Legoland was the last thing to go in there. So if you want a theme park, you have to go to Orlando and you have to essentially lease the land from Disney. So the smart money is on partnering with Disney and doing it that way. So Avatar Avatar was just blown out of proportion way too fast. And I think that people are going to start looking at the business side of that Mm -hmm. and seeing that it's not what they think it is yeah well i've said i've said many times avatar is i could care less about avatar i mean it's I, not the next star wars no star wars is the next star wars. yeah so let's be clear and yeah. uh, but here i guess what i'm what i'm asking so so you you subscribe to this conspiracy theory that disney because i just have a hard time believing that any business would sabotage themselves because well we've got this other i mean to me it's like well more money more money it's a it's a Wall Street thing where like if they had made a certain amount of money, 
then they would have had to pay out a certain percentage and that certain percentage would have cut into their profits. But when you look at the way that you do your taxes and as a business, you take a loss, you get to write stuff off. So what that did is it made their tax cut lower. It also made their profits lower, which meant that they weren't going to get as much of a percentage taken off of it, right? Because it would have bumped them into a new bracket, which would have meant a higher percentage taken off, which would have meant that more money would have gone to the government and less into the pockets of shareholders. So by tanking it, you get the tax benefit of being able to write off $450 $450 million worth of, of a thing or, you know, $200 million worth of it is a write-off. And then as well, you're not being bumped into another tax bracket by Brave and the Avengers. So it, it was like, it was this really complicated tax thing. And this is all, I mean, you'd have to actually look at the books and you'd actually have to, have to actually do the math and, and figure it all out. And we're not privy to actual numbers. Mm-hmm. It's all insider reports and, and best guesses and, you know, just sort of analysts and that sort of thing. But the, the, it, it's been thrown at analysts, at people who think about these things professionally, like Reuters and all that sort of thing, that, that they're the ones who break these things down and make claims about stuff. It's been thrown at them and they've all come back and said, yeah, these numbers match up. This makes sense. There's, there's, there's merit to it. We can't confirm or deny anything because we'd need to see Disney's books. And obviously mm. they're not going to show anybody their books, right. but this is, this theory holds water, whether or not it's true is kind of subjective. Um, but it definitely holds water because critically John Carter was a huge success. Critically it, people came out of those screenings and they were like, this is, this is the thing. This is what you need to do. This is a movie that that hits with kids. It hits with adults. It does everything. I mean, it does the same thing that, that Pacific Rim does. Mm-hmm. I feel like they share a lot of the same um, mm-hmm. qualities in like why they're good movies, why they should hit with the right people. Yeah. But Disney didn't do the things for it that they should have done, that you see them trying to do with The Lone Ranger, but The Lone Ranger being a less good movie a crappier movie have you seen um, it have you seen lone ranger i haven't but you can just see it from the yeah. trailers um, well, uh, the, the the writing's on the wall with that one yeah. in my opinion i mean i think that the people who say that it's just jack sparrow with a bird on his head i think they're absolutely right um they they just tried to go back to the well and they realized that people were getting really tired of pirates of the caribbean so they sure. gave johnny depp another property um one <laughs> one person said to me they they Johnny Depp got that movie made, and that's why the movie was made. Now, see, that's Johnny what I Depp now I do passion. understand. Yeah, I've heard that 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 yeah. that that was a Johnny Depp thing. But even still, I don't know. Like, all right, here's here's you know, I just getting off the conspiracy theories and everything that sure. sound that sound make a lot of sense to me. And 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 I know you keep going back to specifically John Carter, but I feel like there's something bigger even going on. Um, because you look at Tron Legacy, and, and let me tell you something. One of my favorite things Disney has done in the past 10 years, Tron Legacy. Um, I came away loving that movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people who didn't like it didn't like the first one or thought they liked the first one and didn't remember they didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, Tron yeah. has taken on, in, in, in the past 30 years, Tron kind of took on this life of, you know, the secret group of us really liked it. Yeah. And, yeah. and and so folks want to be a part a of that. Thing. Yeah. 
and the and the thing is is I genuinely like Tron, you know, yes. from as a kid, right on through. Genuinely, genuinely like Tron. All right, why don't you take a bathroom break? I'll pause. All right, we're back recording now. So I, with Tron, something I really enjoyed, it seemed to be. I don't. I thought it was successful. I really did think it ended up being a successful film for them. I don't know. I'm not privy to that information. But to know they went forward with a with an animated series that. I wasn't too keen on the animation style, but as the st- as the series mm-hmm. went on, like I started really digging the story, especially as they started to bring Flynn back in, you know, and and really kind of walk through some of the stuff that went on with Clue taking over uh, in, in a more, you know, uh, fleshed out way, and and the possibility of getting yet another Tron sequel on the horizon. Um, I don't know. I just I, it's like it it's disappointing to me, especially if they're shooting themselves in the foot, just from a consumer standpoint. That well, that you've so, got they've got some right. great properties apparently under their belt. Mm-hmm. Because again, I go back to Lone Ranger. I think yeah. a good Lone Ranger story would be to take it, and I'm not one for this kind of stuff, but do a gritty, um, yeah. you know, a little bit, you know, rough, almost a, a tombstone style with enough humor thrown in, and you know, the right actors and everything. Do that kind of thing with Lone Ranger. What the Coen Brothers did with, uh, um, oh my Lanta, what uh, uh, True Grit? Yeah, True Grit. Think? Thank yeah. you. You know, yeah. where they where they remade something that really should have never been remade. If you're a John Wayne fan, but did it in a way that was so good. You know. Yeah. So take these things and and just you know and under the Disney banner proper. You know, without the trappings of Lucasfilm or Pixar or Marvel Studios. Yeah. And. And, and do something with it and begin to establish yourself. And I, I don't see how in the long run the benefits can't outweigh the, even with, you know, because you're talking about one or two movies where you'd have to, well, we'd have to pay the shareholders back this and that sort of thing. We didn't lose money in the long run. I don't see that. Not with merchandising and everything, especially if you establish something that with, with, with the fan base, a rabid fan base of John Carter. And having said that, I think that may be one of the mistakes that Disney and even some other companies have made since the advent of Comic-Con and the like becoming more about all this entertainment rather than just the comics. And yeah. that is that is you you put yourself around about 50, 60, 120,000 fans and they're caught up in the excitement, the moment, the thrill of what's happening and you honestly walk away, I think, feeling like you can do no wrong. Yeah. Whereas the only fan base that's really going to continue to support everything that you do, regardless of what you put out, they'll give it at least one shot honestly is star wars fans <laughs> yeah. you know if star wars fans star wars fans will gripe and complain and then lay their money down for it which yeah, is yeah to our detriment thing. i think yeah, i think we get a yeah. lot of really crummy quality stuff because of that but but i don't but what i think has happened with disney i think it happened with the tron stuff i you mm-hmm. know you listen to some of those when you see some of the bootleg stuff where people uh released like the original little teaser they put together for a tron sequel for tron 2 and you mm-hmm. hear people going nuts when that light cycle lights up. Um, you know, that's people who, I don't know, I guarantee you half of those that audience hadn't watched Tron in years since it came out. They just remember the image of the light cycle and think it's real cool. Well, let me tell you something about Tron. Uh, I, 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 I was born in 1985, mm-hmm. so uh, post-Tron. Um, and uh, uh, Tron had always been sort of part of the the 
pop culture consciousness and I knew what Tron was and I think I'd seen some Tron, but I never actually sat down and watched the whole movie from start to finish. Right. I picked, you know, bits and pieces on afternoon TV uh, on the weekends and that sort of thing when I was a kid, but never actually seen the whole thing mm-hmm. until they released it. Actually, it's not even when they released it on Blu-ray. For a while there before Tron Legacy, and this is this is one of those weird things about Disney, they pulled Tron as a DVD off the market. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get it. You could not find a copy of it. You couldn't buy it. So, uh, so I went online and I found myself a copy by other means. Right. And uh, and and I watched that. And I and I watched it start to finish. And uh, for the first time, the in in 2010 when Tron came out, Tron Legacy came mm-hmm. out. And uh, and that was the first time I'd ever watched the movie. Now. That doesn't mean that prior to that, I was not a Tron fan. I was. I liked Tron. I knew the characters. I knew generally what the world was. Uh, They'd appeared in a Kingdom Hearts video game, so I knew some stuff from that. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that they appeared in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. um, Yeah, in the second Kingdom Hearts game. And actually, in subsequent games, they've come back. Um, In in the latest one on the 3DS in Dream Drop Distance, they go to, to... because uh, in, in Kingdom Hearts 2, it was before Tron Legacy. So they went to Space Paranoids was the name of the level. Right. So it was like the old school Tron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the newer game, they go to the Tron Legacy version of Tron. Oh, and wow. they meet those characters. They meet Korra and, and Flynn and that. Oh, cool. um, so like I, I had a, 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 a relationship with the characters and with the world. And it mattered to me. It, and And... and Definitely, I think that those visuals of the of the first movie stand on their own mm-hmm. as a thing that you can be like, I like Tron because I like the light cycle. Mm-hmm. I like Disc Wars. I like the MCP. I like the way that Tron looks. Therefore, I am a fan, regardless right. of the story, right? Regardless of whether or not I've actually seen the movie, all that sort of thing. Like, you can just be a fan of the aesthetic and of, of the world, which that's where good sci-fi fantasy stuff lives i've said it a million times today in world building and if you can picture yourself in that world or get into that world in some way and take ownership of it that becomes that's a fandom that you're a fan of it right so for me that's what it was and then they were like well we're gonna make a new tron movie and i was sort of like waited with waiting with bated breath and hanging on every word waiting for new tron stuff and and then Crystal and I went to Disneyland on our on our honeymoon mm-hmm. in October of 2010, about a month before the movie came out. I guess maybe two months. It came out in Tron. December. Tron, yeah. Um, and uh, and they had a 3D preview oh. of of the rectifier sequence mm. when when Sam first gets to the grid. Yes, and yes. the rectifier lands and and like spotlights him and everything. Yeah. They were playing it in the Muppet 3D Vision theater, um, and they were like, "Check out this 3D! It's incredible!" and 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 we watched, it and they had this whole event that was going on where they turned part of Hollywood Studios—it's uh, not Hollywood Studios—a uh, part of California Adventure into uh, into the grid. Like mm-hmm. it, they opened the portal to the grid so that you could go into the grid, and and uh, you know they had special drinks and stuff like that, and they had Flynn's Arcade, mm. and. Uh, and and that night, I went from being a casual Tron fan who just liked the way that things worked and looked and the aesthetic and stuff to 
a rabid Tron right, fan. Right. Like they sold me 100%. I was like, I, I exist in this world now. I am a Tron fan. And <laughs> this movie comes out. I'm going to be the first in line. I'm going to see it three times. I'm going to love it. I'm going to buy all the stuff that I can buy. And uh, I ended up getting to see it at an early screening. And then I saw it in IMAX with some friends. And then I saw it again just because I wanted to. I saw that movie three times in the course of like yeah. a month in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I, I have the collector's edition Blu-ray with the 3D, the Blu-ray, the all the stuff. I have three different identity discs, the mm-hmm. three that they released. Um, the Tron one, the Rinsler one, and then the right. Sam, uh, the, the, the Kevin Flynn one. Mm-hmm. Um, like I am, I'm a total fan of that. Uh, they, they completely won me over. But now it's like, what have I done to myself? Because it seems like Disney doesn't really have the faith in that property that they should, that I really think that they should. That, that movie came out and on the opening weekend, it did okay. It Mm -hmm. didn't do anywhere near what they wanted it to. Um, but then the next week it made more money. And then the third week, it made more money than it made the second week. Right, right. Which movies don't do. Right, that doesn't right. happen. Right, but Tron did, mm-hmm. and then it then it evened out, and it just had this slow drop off. Mm-hmm. And by the time it left theaters, it was a huge box office boss box office success. Easy for you to it, say. Yeah. <laughs> um. It, it it ended up being this great thing for Disney. Yeah. But then, Marvel. Star Wars and all this stuff. They are making a third Tron movie. Mm-hmm. Joseph Kaczynski made Oblivion, so he took a break. He went and made Oblivion, which is also an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, everybody should go see that. Um, so he took a break to do that, and now that he's done with Oblivion, uh, he's he's back on Tron three mm-hmm. um, and and working on that because there's a story there. I mean, oh yeah, there's a story there. Don't tell me that Cillian Murphy is in Tron Legacy just because exactly. you could get Cillian Murphy. He was available that weekend. He's in that movie as a plant for the next movie, yes. which I think will take place mostly in the real world. I, 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 let me tell. Let me tell you what I what I would like to see if it's going to take place mostly in the real world. I'd like to see uh, elements of the grid other than just Korra get sucked over into the real world. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see some disc fighting happening. Like, I'd like to see uh, Sarek, uh, not Sarek, um, Sark, and and those people from the first one. What's what's his what's the kid? I mean, he's what's his face's son? Is like is Cillian Murphy? Huh? Are you talking Flynn? Because there's no, there's no, 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 no. Tron, Flynn, and Ram. They're the three guys. Right. I'm talking about Cillian Murphy. Oh, oh, you're talking about uh, uh, Dillinger. Dillinger. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah. and. And anyhow, he's his son. He's Dillinger's yeah. son, and yeah. and so I don't know. That's what I'm saying is is the whole concept maybe of a revived MCP, but more into the real. I, the thing is this: I'd love to see it, and I'd I'd love to revisit that world. I'd love to revisit those people. I'd love to revisit the concept. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear the yeah. term greetings programs again. All of it. I just want to get immersed in that again, and I hope that Disney uh, will do that. I feel like, gosh, I want Daft Punk to come score more music for freaking yep. Tron. Yeah, um, it's that's the whole thing, you know. Is is I because I didn't get to see it in theaters for whatever reason. I know the reasons I didn't mm. get to see it in theaters, um, but but I didn't get to go see it in a theater, and uh, 
and and so the minute it was out on Blu-ray, I picked it up and have loved it ever since. I mean, I just there's to me there's nothing wrong with that movie. And and it's like if Disney can hit it, but then I heard people complaining about it and the complaints were the things that they you know that I have also heard them complain about the first movie. Yeah. It has a very slow third act. Uh, it, ha- it it I mean people call them problems. I I just think that they're part of um Part of that story, and and Tron Legacy follows the the narrative structure of the first movie. Oh yeah, very yeah, closely. Yeah. Um, but it's because it's a there's a there's a poetry to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that Joseph Kaczynski, especially since watching Oblivion and watching Oblivion with the uh, with the commentary, with the audio commentary with him and Tom Cruise, Joseph Kaczynski is a guy to watch. He's made two movies: Tron Legacy and Oblivion. Those are the only two movies that he's made. Hmm. But they are both these like kind of almost avant-garde very like he's he's an auteur. He he has a style and a thought process to making films that you could only compare with someone like like I don't know, like a Quentin Tarantino or Steven Spielberg or right. like these big names that you go and you go the second you see that movie, you're like I know exactly who made that movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And and Joseph Kaczynski is that kind of guy. And and so he looked at the original film, which itself was this incredible revolutionary auteur vision of what it's like inside a computer. I mean, it's sort of it because it's become part of our pop culture and because computers are such an important part of our lives. We we look at it now and it all seems kind of campy and cheesy. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it with the proper perspective, with the historical perspective of where people were at at that time, yes, a lot of the things that they say are false, wrong, don't make any sense. That's fine because it was all based on the understanding that we had of computers at the time. Computers were this new, exciting thing, and and uh, Steven Leisberger, the the guy who created Tron he mythologized it he turned it into a narrative and uh and joseph kaczynski took that and translated it to to modern filmmaking Mm -hmm. and so a lot of the same beats are there because it's a hero's journey right Mm -hmm. like it 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 follows the hero's journey just the same way that star wars Mm -hmm. does i mean tron legacy follows the plot points of tron as much as it does a new hope right the the they they go and they the, seriously the third act the, the the end of the second act they rescue the princess from the Death Star, and then they hop in a ship <laughs> and they fly away. And as they're flying away, they're pursued by bad guys. So yep. one of the heroes gets in a turret and shoots down the bad guys. That's true. Yeah, in a that's flying true. ship. I mean, like <laughs> it is. It is Star Wars. All they did was instead of Flynn dying before they get in that, mm-hmm. he dies afterwards. Because he totally just Obi-Wan Kenobi's. He goes, yeah, look, go. Yeah. Save yourselves. You're much more important. You are the hope for the system. Mm-hmm. I will stop Clue. That'll be, you know, like the sacrifice is exactly the same, which is why I think the next movie, Flynn's going to be in it. Yeah. Oh, He's I, just oh going to be, God. he is the grid now. Yes. When he died, he didn't die. He just, he Obi-Wan kenobi but it was in a much more visual I th- way. Yeah, he, I also think there could be a way to get him out of there. Yes, you know, I think I think that Sam can figure it out. He's got him on that little stick, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I, I think that he can. That's the thing. I think that's what the third movie will will. Flint, I think that's where the Flint grid lives. will come into play. Tron three, it, friend lives. Uh, friend yeah, lives, yeah. I, 
I think it'll be that Sam will find a way. Like that, like everything will happen with Dillinger's son and, and all of this stuff. And he'll be like, man, I really wish my father was here. And Cora will be, what if he could be? Right? She'll say, like, well, what, if, what if he could be here? I mean, he, he, yes, he died, but he, everything's bits and bites in the grid. Mm-hmm. It, if you could find him in there. We can reassemble him. You could reassemble him and, and bring him back, right? Uh, I think that'll be the third movie. Meanwhile, right? Dillinger's trying to rebuild the MCP to stop all this crap. Exactly, and uh, and an aged Tron comes and helps out. Um, you hear that, Joseph Kaczynski? <laughs> You're welcome. Geek, copyright geek out loud. Credit. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so here, honestly, here's my hope because you know when you've got Star Wars under your belt, you've got Marvel Studios under your belt, and yep. quite frankly, I didn't see Brave. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm prone to think that I would like it, even though a lot of people didn't. But I, I'm prone to think I like it because a lot of people didn't. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Which usually is what happens with me. Um, yeah. You know, I, Superman for the quest for peace. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that's all I got to say about that. Which I am thinking about. Spoil, let me just throw this out there, Michael Cohen. I'm thinking about starting a whole new podcast in the Geek Out Loud mini network of podcasts where it's all about defending horrible movies. <laughs> movies that are universally panned as being bad that I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, and, and I'm thinking in my head things like Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. That's as far as I've gotten so far. Um, just, just call it the unpopular opinion. There you Oh. <laughs> writing that down. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just starting it, it doing something like that. What I'd really like to do is like me and Derek do commentaries for movies that everybody hates. And, uh, I am I am right there with you because I uh, the last Starfighter is a movie that people oh. oftentimes will get Who like they'll a, say really whoa, 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 nasty whoa, whoa. things. Who about says it? nasty things about the last Starfighter? I know, right? It's ridiculous. No, I'm serious. Like, Who says nasty things about the because uh, them's well, are fighting words? I'll send you a list later. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been I've been writing it down every time somebody says something. But people will that. like compare it to Star say it's like it's a Star Wars wannabe. It's another well, one yeah. of those from that era. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And you know what? It's one of the closest ones. It's like oh. it it's one of the only ones that, that that got it. Yes. That understood Star Wars and went like, Oh, that's what Star Wars is? Let's make another one. Mm. Right? And because the last Starfighter is a brilliant, beautiful piece of cinema. And Man, I, you know what I want? We got Tron Legacy, and that's great and everything, and I'm really a happy that we Star got Tron Fighter Legacy. Sequel. But what oh we need gosh. is the next Starfighter. And I don't mean I don't mean a, a, a remake. I mean yes. Yeah, the next oh. Starfighter, which is all I, I've already written the movie. It's already done. I, it's, it's finished. Let's get it. Who do we need to get that to then? I I don't know. Joseph Kaczynski, I think. The, the, <laughs> Oh man, what if the last what if the next Starfighter is actually a spin-off of Tron 3? <laughs> well, they they share they share a similar uh chromosome all, exactly, in that like, the they're whole both video, video game, game thing. movies, yes, right? Yes. This is what I'm um, saying. In it's, fact, the, but the, 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 the next, next Starfighter Star is found in Flynn's arcade. Yes. Yes. Well, the next Starfighter is his son, it, right? Well, it's the yeah. son of him and, and his girlfriend cuz they at go this off point, at the grandson. End of the movie. Or yeah, at this point. But yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, that's a movie that needs to happen. I'm there. I am so there. Oh, I've not even thought about that, and now I want it to happen more than anything else. 
<laughs> like I'm almost to the point of put Star Wars Episode Seven title to be revealed on hold and do the next Starfighter first. Whoever yeah. would be that. But I guess who was that? What company was that? That wasn't a... Um, that it's wasn't, Universal. Okay, it's I was going to say it wasn't a Touchstone film. Yeah. So, because if it was Touchstone, then, then Disney could definitely get it. And, then, you know, that brings up a whole other thing. Roger Rabbit was a successful thing back in the 90s, um, yep. late 80s, early 90s. The, the, the thing is, is Disney has had its success on the big screen, but it feels like these things that should be... And this is the thing I don't understand about Hollywood in general. The things that should be... Yeah, you know, easy home runs a lot of times end up being flops. You know, it, it's it's the Warner Brothers syndrome where they can't seem to get it right with some well, things. Well, let, let me let me give you some insight here because Disney is a corporation, mm-hmm. right? So is Warner Brothers, and uh, uh, there's a there's a really big reason why they keep doing these things and stepping on their own feet, and it's because the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Um. You, you end up in a corporate mentality. I, I, I currently work for a corporation, and this is just the way that it goes. This is, it's a byproduct of having a whole bunch of people in one building with one purpose and a million different ways to do it. Uh, you end up with a bunch of people who think that they know how to do it, and the way that they, that they would do it is the right way to do it. And if you don't have leadership at the head of that that says – this is the way we're going to do it, and that has a clear vision. I mean, you have to have a captain for the ship, mm-hmm. right? And Disney does not have a captain for the ship right now. Marvel Studios does. Mm-hmm. Kevin Feige is is incredible. Feige? Okay. Feige? Yeah. Feige? Uh, Fe- 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 I believe it's Feige. Feige? That's what I hear. Feige. Um, uh, he's incredible. And, and the reason why those What's movies are successful... John Favreau definitely contributes. Mm-hmm. Joss Whedon definitely contributes, but those are there. It's it's a lot like a television series in the way that a television series runs. You got a showrunner. Yeah, you have a yeah. showrunner who is keeping track of everything, and then you have directors who come in and do individual episodes. And sometimes those directors come back, and sometimes those are some of the best episodes of the series. Right mm-hmm. so when you have those great directors who are consistent and know the material like nobody else does. But at the end of the day, if you have a solid showrunner that keeps everything thematically together, keeps everything visually tied, uh, keeps the, the all the ducks in a row and knows where they're going next, then you have a successful show. And that's what's going on in Marvel Studios right now. It's what will happen, I have no doubt, with Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the right person to be at the helm of all of that. Uh, because she's gonna she's gonna make sure that every one of these other Star Wars movies being directed by other people are going to be to the quality that George would want himself. Right. 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 She's the person. She's not there to impose her creative ideals on it, but she is there to enforce the the existing ones that George Lucas set. Right. So it's gonna be like keeping things consistent, keeping things. To, to the proper quality levels and that sort of thing, that's where it's at. But with these independent Disney things, you don't get that. Yeah. Um, John Lasseter has really stepped back in the last few years at Pixar, and you're seeing that. You're seeing that because he's doing other things, he's over doing a whole bunch of stuff with Disney animation as well. You're seeing a real confused thing going on at Pixar. They're, they don't have a clear direction. That's why Cars 2 happened. 
that's why Brave, which should be a really good movie, ends up being what Brave was. Brave, I liked, but it has real serious story problems that just, like, I, I am by no means a screenwriting expert. I've written one screenplay in my life for an assignment in a class on screenwriting. The next Starfighter. And it was the next. No, it wasn't. It was actually a Star Wars homage, but oh. um, the next but I was very young and very stupid at the time. So, um, but I, I've written, I, I've read enough screenplays and I've seen enough movies to to be able to identify these things. I've definitely read enough Joseph Joseph Campbell mm-hmm. to uh, to be able to tell you where the problems are in uh, in Brave because it it's a it was. Um, it was a movie built in a corporate mentality. What happens with animation a lot of the time is uh, they're such big projects. They take so long to make that directors will sometimes lose sight of, of the end goal or they will be so tied to one thing and not flexible enough that eventually, sooner or later, they step down or they get fired and somebody else gets brought in. Brave is an example of that. It, it went through, I think, three directors um, or three sets of directors. I mean, it had one director who was also the writer, which is generally the way that Pixar works. And then it had another director who took over for that person. And then it had a set of two directors who finished the movie and brought it sort of to term and, and released it. And, and so you end up with three separate movies in there and you can tell that the, that it just it gets really confused about what it's supposed to be about. Is it about this girl? Is it about her mother? Who are her brothers? How does the dad play into it? There's a witch at some point. She's a bear. There's She's a not a bear. What's point. going on? The trailers don't make any sense. The trailer. Now tell I'll you tell you this. The, I'll tell you this. The trailers after point did not make any sense at all. No, and that's because the movie itself started as one thing that it should have finished as. Mm-hmm. I mean that that original vision of what the movie was about is it's still in there and you can see it but it just it doesn't come through and i think that happens a lot at disney because of the corporate mentality mm-hmm. because they're shareholders and people have to be kept happy and so andrew stanton does the best that he possibly can to keep that ship heading in one direction but the producers on the film and the the head honchos at disney just they just don't know what they're doing yeah. and there's there's been a shakeup in leadership at disney recently and um, and you can tell because the 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 leadership is starting to come back. There were some decisions made by some people over the last two or three years that were stupid decisions, mm-hmm. and uh, and now those are being rectified. So Tron three being put into production and being fast tracked is one of those decisions that's being corrected. Um, the only reason Uprising happened was because it was already in production before Tron Legacy came out. Right. Uh, it was one of those things where, like, really, I mean, they they put the cart before the horse on that one. Uprising should have come out in the year before Legacy was yeah. released. That's the way that should have happened. There should have been toys. There should have been Happy Meals. There should have been everything, right? Like, it should have been out there. There should be... I will tell you the two things that they that Disney has messed up the most in the last three years. There are no Tron Legacy, uh, Tron Lego sets, mm-hmm. Tron Lego right. sets. Ah. Um, ah, and there are no John Carter Lego sets. Mm-hmm. There are Lone Ranger Lego sets. That is the dumbest hmm. thing in the universe. That is like that is as backwards as it gets. No kid wants a, a Lone Ranger Lego set. 
if you go to the store, if you are a parent or an uncle or an aunt or a relative of some kind or a friend of the family who went to a Toys R Us within the last three months and bought a kid a Lone Ranger Lego set for their birthday slash Christmas slash whatever, you were wrong and you should apologize to that child, and you should buy them a proper Lego set. Look, and I feel like there's nowhere we go from there except to say, Dern Skippy, Michael Cohen, ladies and gentlemen, if you bought uh, your child, nephew, whatever, a Lego set, you need to go back to them and apologize right now. (laughs) Because they were really nice about it. They were really polite, and they said thank you, and they, they, they put that grin on their face, and you think that they liked it. But I'm going to tell you right now, they did not. They did not. What they wanted was a Ninja Turtle Lego set. Indeed, indeed. And they are now disappointed and upset. Or one of those Marvel superhero Lego sets. Yeah. Or the I mean, of all of the Lego sets that you have to choose from, a guy with a bird on his head and a cowboy with a mask. Mm -hmm. No offense, because I love the Lone Ranger. Yeah, I was going to say, which again, you know, you got to think it's a property that's an iconic property that should... You, you should be able, it, it seems like a no-brainer to figure out something to do with it. And and it seems like, and honestly, I mean, I, honestly, I go back to the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff, which have been successful. The, the <laughs> first movie, the, the Curse of the Black Pearl, incredible. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. The second and third one, just lost. They got lost in a story that was too big and too weird and, and relied too much on uh, Johnny Depp to be Jack Sparrow. The fourth one yeah. was okay. I would have rather seen the, the second and third one never be mentioned and just do the fourth one. Th- those movies need to be like Indiana Jones movies mm-hmm. where there's, exactly. a, there's a common thread of a, of a character, mm-hmm. but that each story is kind of its own. Thread. And that's what I'm saying. I would have loved to seen the fourth one just be the fourth one. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that be that. And so apparently they're doing a fifth one uh, that's coming out. And um, you know, Which also just goes to show you Johnny Depp, who said he'd never do a sequel. You throw enough money at someone, they'll do whatever. Um, yeah, everything I have is for sale, by the way. So, uh, I, the, at the end of the day, though, I root for Disney. Uh, you know, Disney is one of those things that, like, I hate it when people start talking about it being like this evil, <clears throat> evil empire of a corporation. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like people automatically go to kind of a hate on corporations, and I don't like people talking bad about Disney just because, you know, I don't, I don't think the people that are there working it are evil. I just think, no. you know, they're doing what... I, I don't blame anyone for wanting to make money. And I hope Disney does well just because the better Disney does, you know, the more... I hope the more quality we'll see come out of them, you know? And, yeah. And, and the more opportunity we'll have to see things that I'd love to see. You know, there's always been talk of a Roger Rabbit sequel. I'd love to see mm-hmm. a Roger Rabbit sequel. Um, especially nowadays with what they're doing. This new short that's come out that, I, that I'd heard a little bit about, the, the Mickey Mouse short. That yes. they Have you heard... We need to talk about that off air. But, um, you know, apparently it, it'll blow your mind what they did with it. Um, and it's, it, and so, and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, let's see it happen. You know, the stuff they're doing on Disney XD. I watched Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and, um, and, and they found a way to make that show entertaining and not feel like it was just pandering to people. I, I liked it. I dug, I completely dug the, the opening, uh, the two episodes of Hulk's, Hulk and the Agents of Smash. Um, I have not had a chance to watch the new Avengers series they've done yet, but you know, it's, it's like if they'll start firing on all four cylinders, then, then we benefit, mm-hmm. we benefit from that. And, um, you know, and as much as, and I enjoyed John Carter and, and to hear you talk about it, um, now I've got to go check out those books. I've got to go 
start on those novellas and um amazon here i come so i will suggest one thing mm-hmm. if if um if you're not a reader, because mm-hmm. I'm not really a reader, yeah. uh, although I, with John Carter I am reading them, and they're really good books. So they're and they're quick reads. They mm-hmm. like just the way that they're written is really, <clears throat> really fast. Um, but Audible is awesome. Yeah, and and uh, I I I keep up to date with a lot of stuff by by. So if if you don't want to read the books, like if that's not something that would appeal to you, the the John Carter stuff is on Audible. Okay, you can get almost everything. So. So it's it's worth uh, investigating that if you're more of an audio book or more just more of an audio person, which mm-hmm. I am, right? Like that's that's my thing. Um, I'm much more visual audio than I am, you know, sitting and reading. But um, but yeah, I just need to say because because people might get the wrong impression. I love Disney. I am a huge Disney fan. Uh, Crystal and I are currently planning when the next time we can get to Disneyland is. We want to be there sooner rather than later, and then as much as possible after that. Um, so everything that I say and everything comes from a place just just like with Carl. Everything comes from a place of love. I care about Disney, um, and I'm not mad at Disney at any point in time. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, that's all. sure. Well, um, Cohen, people can find you and and your ramblings about other things at. Uh, <laughs> At well, clonewarspodcast.com. You guys are still going, yep. waiting for that bonus content to hit. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then after that, yeah. it's rebelspodcast.com. Yeah, it's rebelspodcast.com. And, uh, and, and quiverpodcast.com, quiverpodcast.com if you were a Green Arrow fan, uh, if you're say, a fan specifically of Arrow on the CW. I was going to say Arrow's coming back around for the second yep. season, and they li- they sucked me in. You can listen to me and my friend Amanda do our best Derek and Steve impression Uh-oh. as we copy what you guys did successfully with Starkville House of Oz. Well, I don't know that I don't know how successful we were, but we had a lot of help, a lot of backup on that one. So my my bench my the the, the high water mark that I'm gonna hit is something that Derek set, and that is uh, we will be featured on a box set of mm. of the Arrow TV series. Well, that's hopefully, good. hopefully that, Arrow. That's my, so. Hopefully it has the following and and the longevity to get to six seasons where you can do that. I hope so. so. I, hope. I um, think so. It's a good series. Yeah, yeah. I, the the season finale sucked me in, so I'll be there for the season premiere of season two. Um, well, this has been Geek Out Loud. You can email me at geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com. We're over on the Facebook, facebook.com slash geekoutloud, twitter.com slash geekoutloud. Every now and again, you'll see me reach out to you guys for some ideas. Thanks to Jimmy and Georgia for uh, the snippet about the Black Series and the new Doctor. Uh, we didn't, we've got some other snippets that people brought up that I'm sure we'll get to some other time. Uh, also, you can head over to geekoutonline.com as, uh, in fact, this afternoon, as soon as we're done here. I've got to uh, add a few more comics that are up for sale. Buy my comic from me. Um, they're only a dollar a piece unless they're just really, you know, more valuable than that. You, you can't beat a dollar a comic, for crying out loud, just to kind of see what's out there and see what you got. So, um, <clears throat> that's all I got. That's all we got this time. Michael Cohen, thanks so much for everything you've always done for everything that I've always done. <laughs> no problem. I'm always happy to do it. So. And, so, and, it's always, and it always turns out so so very good and uh and so i hope that uh i hope we're able to do this again soon i know that there's a lot of star wars stuff coming down the pipe there'll be titles announced uh there'll be um blu-rays to talk about there'll be this bonus content that comes out with the clone wars at some point somehow some way so 
Um, and, but until then, you know, we'll just continue to text and kind of chit chat back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> and until the next time on Geek Out Loud, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Uh, for Michael Cohen, I'm Steve Lawson. Have a great whatever. We'll see you next time on Geek Out Loud.